The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. British Columbia to you listening around the world. This is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott. Let us play with all our toys and let us think that we're big boys and let us make the louder noise for winning the world. And let us think we're Superman. You can follow us on our website, spacedoutradio.com, on iTunes and tune in. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. On Facebook at Spaced Out Radio Show, or on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Are you playing with Bigfoot and aliens again? Uh, Dad, you gotta stop haunting the goats. It's scaring them. All right, seriously, put down the pointy sticks. Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Spaced Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff. Seriously, Dave? Really? Aren't you a little old for a tinfoil hat? Hi, you. Toby. Bye bye. you. Bye bye. Yeah, 
Good evening and welcome to Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott, and it's good to have you along for the ride on this Monday, April 10th, Tuesday, April 11th. If you're on the East Coast, hope you had a great day and night. We are live right here in Uncle Jimbo's cabin, right here in the Great White North, as we are live seven days a week. Let's welcome in everyone listening in on WQEE 99, Rock the Key, down in Noonan, Georgia, at spaceoutradio.com, on Spreaker, on the United Public Radio Network, Renegade Talk Radio, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and on Revolution Radio. Mr. Ron Bumblefootthal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy, is the man behind our music. Bumblefoot rocks us in and out of every show as he's the official sound of SOR. Hey, you can follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, you can follow me at Dave Scott. SOR. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download our shows from iTunes. We're also on RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, and Stitcher. And our website is SpacedOutRadio.com. And if you head over to Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, you can, for just $1 a month, become a patron of Spaced Out Radios. If you want to take part in this show, we do not take phone calls here. Sorry, fellas and ladies. But we do take your questions in the chat room. So all you have to do is go on to spaceoutradio.com, click on the Listen Live. You'll get to our chat room there. You can go into the chat room on Revolution Radio, on Spreaker, on the UPRN chat room, or on Facebook if you're an illustrious member of the SOR Space Travelers Club. Or go on Twitter. Use the hashtag Space Out Radio. I will get to your questions in there as well. If you head to our website for just five bucks a month, you can become an SOR Space Traveler. We offer great swag to give away every single month. You can also check out our brand new news section, The Encounter Online, that deals with everything paranormal and strange, courtesy of our editors, Eric Markham and Everett Themer. You can find my latest blog there as well. And if you've had a sighting or an experience you can't explain, fill out an SOR Sightlines report. Our researcher, Mike Schmidt, is ready to find out what's going on with you. We welcome in our terrestrial radio stations, WQEE 99 Rock the Key down in Noonan, Georgia, the home of the walking dead. Thanks for sharing your nights with us, and make sure you give their Facebook page a like. The United Public Radio Network on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you with us. We're live in Las Vegas on Renegade Talk Radio. And if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, remember the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Disneyland is always a fun time with the family or even just by yourself. A childhood memory of hopes and dreams filled with laughter and smiles. It really is the happiest place on earth where nothing ever ages, and the old can feel like children again through their own eyes rather than through the eyes of a child. It's a magical place with characters like Mickey and Minnie, Goofy and Donald. The rides, the movies, the parades to go along with all the colors and the songs. It really is a place where we can all just forget about the world that surrounds us. 
But what if there was a darker side to Disneyland that we really don't know much about? Disneyland is full of little hidden secrets, from the hundreds of Mickey Mouse faces that are hidden around the park to the relatively secretive Club 33. Was Walt Disney a mason? Is there some sort of hidden message behind the happiest place on earth? Johnny Enoch is with us tonight. He's recently been on this escapade trying to find out what's hidden between Disneyland and does it connect with Egypt. He helps research and discuss the hidden lore behind the world of Disney tonight. And tonight, he opens up what he's learned about the secrets of Walt. Johnny Enoch, welcome back to Spaced Out Radio, my friend. It's good to have one of the founding fathers of Spaced Out Radio back on the air with us. How you doing? I'm doing excellent, Dave, and thank you for that very warm welcome. It feels so good to be back, and uh, I want to say good evening to all the Spaced Out listeners. What an incredible sight. This this show is just growing and growing every time I come back, every time I check it out, there's more listeners. And, you know, for a lot of people, they don't know the, the backstory behind Spaced Out Radio, my friend, how you literally had to, you know, put a rope around my throat and say, you're doing this, damn it. You are going to start <laughs> up this radio show. And I fought it every step of the way, man. But all of our listeners, and we're about 140,000 strong a night now, you know, all of them basically, my friend, have you to thank for that. Well, uh, that's very kind of you. But this this radio show, the name uh, you know how it came together was your dream, and it was it was already there. And when I met you, we started to we started talking about the countdown to conference contact conference, and we were talking about ETs. And you were giving me so many great ideas and insights about what could happen at this conference. You told me about your background in radio. And I was like, why isn't this guy doing radio and, you know, all your paranormal interests and all the insight you had into this area? And it just it all fit together perfectly. And now look, look where we are. Well, you know what? It's been a lot of fun, my friend. It's been a lot of fun in trying to get this thing going. And, you know, every day, I got to say, it's a learning experience. And a lot of times I think back to sitting on in my living room with you and and Mrs. S.O.R. and a few other people and us hammering out the details of what we wanted to try and accomplish with this show. And I don't think we're fully there yet, 100%, but I think we're getting closer. And the closer we get, the better it's going to sound. It's just going to keep growing. And the one thing I really appreciate with your audience, which I don't always get when I do a radio show or I come on and and talk to a certain audience, is that your audience is already immersed into this world. And I'm a big believer that if you want to learn about this subject, if you want to get into these topics, you really have to immerse yourself into the world of the occult. You can you can read books and you can listen to people talk about experiences. But when you go and you experience these things for yourself, when you travel or you go inside the Great Pyramid and crawl on your hands and knees into the subterranean chamber and stare into the secrets, you know, you're getting that that experienced listener when you come on Space Out Radio. So I, I find that like the people in the chat rooms to the comments to you know just just everything. It's it's such a great audience that's attracted to this. And apparently since I've been last here, everybody 
he's growing beards. What's that all about? Well, I notice in your pictures down from Egypt that you got some stubble going there too, my friend. You got some you know, stubble. You know, I had now. to. I had to. You don't always have things like Wi-Fi, uh, the opportunity to shave, you know. <laughs> so you got you to gotta have that stubble going. But, you know, uh, speaking of Egypt and, and all these other places in the world uh, that, I've, that I've visited to research for the book I've been writing and for these various videos I've been putting together, it's all connected. And Disneyland is no exception. And I want to just put this out there first of all. If you're if you're listening to this tonight and you've been to Disneyland, you've heard of going to Disneyland, Disneyland is such a magical place. It's one of my favorite places on earth. And it has something for the young and the old. But to me, every time I go there, it always reminds me to look at the importance of our hopes, wishes, and dreams. And I always think about Walt Disney uh, when he stood out in front of Disneyland on July 17th, 1955, and he said, to all who come to this happy place, welcome. And I can always hear his voice in my mind saying, Disneyland is your land. And I always get this this feeling like this tingling sensation, this, you know, the, the goosebumps, the uh, when I walk through there and I look at that partner statue and I see the dreams that Walt had and the hardships and the perseverance that he had to put that incredibly magical, beautiful place together. But before we go any further, I want to ask you, Dave, have you ever been to Disneyland? You know what? I haven't been in, since 2010. And it's a place where I got to get back to. I am absolutely addicted to Disneyland. I am like a giant kid. I get there as soon as it opens, and I stay right until the bitter end when they kick everybody out. That's just the way (laughs) I like to do it. I like to go on every single ride I can, and by the end of the day, I am absolutely swamped. But the one thing that I can say, like even when you get one of those, you know, five-day hopper passes, you still miss out on so much there's just way too many hidden nuances and and i would like to take a a couple of days next time i go just to take in the atmosphere a little bit more on a more esoteric type level where i'm i'm actually looking at things not trying to rush to the next ride where there's an hour and a half lineup or anything like that but i want to take it all in a little bit more i want to look in the windows of of main street usa i want to look at the statues i want to see how many you know mickey heads that i can find around the park because there's something ridiculous like like a thousand of them or something along those lines there's so many things that that can be done there that i just want to do so it is on the agenda to get back but you know me man i've been going to the adult disneyland the last number of years to las vegas and absolutely and absolutely you know that feels more like the home away from home now but we're definitely going to uh try and get a little bit more down to Disneyland in California, and I've always wanted to see Disney World too. So I'm going to have to get well, on de- over. To- definitely, Dis- Disney World is is very impressive, and we're going to touch down on Disney World a little bit tonight. Disney World does have some secrets there too, and you know, there's there's some very interesting stories we get back from there. And I and I've been to Disney World, been to the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, and I've talked to people there as well. And there's there's some hidden symbolism and some really crazy stories if you look into some of the the hidden rooms outside of attractions in Epcot, even some Masonic connections. But the 
the difference is is that at Magic Kingdom in Disney World, the which is it's really supposed to be a sort of a copy of Disneyland, except, you know, there's some variations in the rides. Things are a little different. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of tunnels underneath, which are really amazing. And uh, if you want to geek out on the Disney stuff, which I'm not going to go too deep into tonight because there's all sorts of great guys like Len Testa and all the Disney podcasts where they get into all the really incredible stuff there. But when you go look over at these rides, if you're interested in paranormal stuff, there there is a ride, uh, of course, called the Haunted Mansion. I actually prefer the Haunted Mansion over at Disney World at the Magic Kingdom because every time I seem to go to Disneyland, they, they seem to have the Nightmare Before Christmas theme up in the Haunted Mansion. And for me, I like Nightmare Before Christmas, but I, I really like the old school Disney. I like the old school Haunted Mansion. It's one of my favorite rides with the Doom Buggy. And uh, in front of there, of course, there is the old, uh, in front of the Haunted Mansion of Magic Kingdom, there's the old uh, 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 horseless carriage cart from Darby O'Gill and the Little People, which we don't have in Disneyland. Uh, but anyhow, at Disney World's Magic Kingdom, at the Pirates of the Caribbean, which is one of my favorite rides, and we're going to talk about that tonight because it's a big part of the conversation we're having about Club 33 and the Masonic. Bef- there, Johnny, before there we is get into a- that, before we get into that, my friend, because we're going to yeah, move deep yeah. into this, I always like to start off with getting our audience to learn a little bit more about you because you literally have taken on this study of trying to figure out the occult, trying to figure out the ancient histories, ancient civilizations, how it all ties into the metaphysical side of life. What made you get into this? Well, <laughs> that's a that's a question that can go very deep, too. Well, it, it's sort of on on my own personal journey, looking into metaphysics, you know, making sense of some of my own experiences, which you've touched down before during the conference that we did. You did an incredible introduction for me, which uh, I was just uh, amazed how you were able to pull all these things uh, out from our conversations and insight, you know, from my own out of body experiences, the things that I've the things I've seen out of body uh, to, you know, looking in to books over the day, over the ages, esoteric books, metaphysical books, and seeing all these symbols and seeing where the symbols from the ancient world relate to the world we're in now. I just sort of kept seeing patterns. And as I started looking at religions, when we look at comparative religions, we see that there is this sort of invisible connection that, uh, you know, they all lead back to one source. And so for me, I've always felt that there was not only a hidden hand in the world, but there has been this, I want to say these gatekeepers behind the scenes that have been holding all the great information, which I call the sons of light. And so for me, that's just sort of the fascination I have that it, it all comes back to a sort of ancient consciousness technology. And the more I travel, the more I go and, you know, talk to people in these strange places and talk to the gatekeepers, the knowledge keepers, and, and to delve deeper into this subject, the more fascinating it gets and the more you want to go deeper down the rabbit hole. And it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. I always like to explain on this show, when people ask me, you know, how did you get involved with this? It's like opening a door. And once you exactly. make your way through that door, behind that door is 10 doors. And behind each of those 10 doors is another 10 doors each. It just absolutely keeps coming 
and coming. There seems to be no end to this. Do you ever see a time, whether it's conspiracy, whether it's the paranormal, UFOs and ufology, or even the whole spiritual aspect of everything, John, do you actually ever see us opening that final door to what the answers to life or civilization are? You know, I I really believe, first of all, that life is fundamentally meaningless and we give it meaning. But I I know what you mean. And I think we're on a verge right now, which some call the eschaton. And there's a whole study called eschatology, the study of time uh, or what we call eschatological events. I think we're on the verge of this eschaton where technology is is converging with the spiritual, we have this this media ecology phenomenon now, where we're you know we're experimenting with microchips in brains. We're augmenting reality. We're starting to you know tear apart the fabrics of space time and looking through the matrix and exploring multiverses. And we're you know bending and stretching reality in every every way that we look at it. So absolutely, I think what we used to call you know, the science of quacks and charlatans and say, you know, all, all this stuff about dimensions and, uh, you know, hocus pocus sort of stuff is now what we consider, you know, quantum physics or, or, or quantum mechanics. So we're, we're getting there. I mean, it's there. This is cutting edge, man. What you're doing, you're a scientist. And when you're you're looking at this stuff, these are case studies. It's unbelievable. Well, let's move on. So what kind of had you striving towards looking into the behind-the-scenes history of Disneyland and Walt Disney? Okay, that's a good question. But first of all, let me just uh, back up to that Disney World comment I was going to make so that we can put that to the side. Sure. They, over, over at Disney World, there already is a giant behind-the-scenes paranormal atmosphere there. There's all kinds of weird things that go on there. And at the Pirates of the Caribbean in Magic Kingdom in Disney World, every morning when they turn the ride on, they say, hello, George. And you can look this up on Google, look at the Disney blogs, and you'll see that this is this is how it is. And I've interviewed a lot of the people that work there, and this is what they tell me as well. There's also been all kinds of strange rituals and people trying to dump their ashes off over at the Haunted Mansion, both in Disney World and in the California location. And there's actually a more gruesome incident where someone tried to get off the doom buggy and they fell and plunged to their death. So there's all kinds of strange paranormal things that went on there. And every time I'd go there, I'd get that vibe. But I guess for me, it's it's very interesting that my fascination started to open up with Disney World just out of my natural curiosity with the esoteric. Uh, on one of my many visits over to uh, my dear friend and mentor, teacher, Jordan Maxwell, who I know you know uh, from the coming on this show when he came on, I uh, was hanging out with him and he says, he said to me, you know, hey, do you want to know all about the secrets of Disneyland? And I said, well, yeah, I'd love to know about the secrets of Disneyland because I was already very interested in that. So we we sit around always, you know, going around uh, restaurants, talking in, in L.A. when when uh, Jordan and I are hanging out. And uh, we, he said one day, OK, let's let's take a look at Anaheim. And so for him, you know, he's got a very close and personal connection to this, too, because he's been in Hollywood for 55 years and he's been in Disneyland and, and hung around with Michael Eisner former president of Disney, George Lucas, uh, you know, so he's get, he's had the inside scoop. So first of all, he said to me something, I had no idea that this existed. And if, if your listeners right now are in front of a computer, which I assume they are, or if you have your phone in front of you, look on Google Maps right now. 
and type in Club 33. Now, out of all the Disney parks, there's only one other Club 33, and it's in Tokyo, and the, the Tokyo Disney is amazing. But the Tokyo Disney, that came along later, obviously. This is the original Disneyland. So if you look at Club 33, what you'll see, that this is a very private, exclusive club. It is the only place in the park where you can get alcohol served. It is literally... Uh, you know, one of these places that it's it's sort of a dream for most Disney fans to get in there. If you go to where New Orleans Square and Adventureland, uh, or sorry, if you go to New Orleans Square where Adventureland and Frontierland meet, and you you just make your way up that area right by the Pirates of the Caribbean, there's this this little humble entrance. It just has a very small thirty three. Uh, on on the door area there and you say well well this is nothing it's no big deal there's all kinds of addresses uh, you know that's probably nothing and when you go look over there on each side of the door there are these two pillars that you see uh, in freemasonry in every freemasonic lodge you see two pillars called uh boas and yakin or boas and jackin and when you look at this particular club you know uh you would never know that there's some of the most ex- wealthiest powerful uh, people meeting in this particular club and you literally have to you know ring a doorbell know a password it takes years to get approved and there is is essentially a fee that's about eleven thousand to twenty five thousand us a year if you're lucky and you you get in now sometimes you can get in on a day pass or someone can bring you in uh, but when you're there you know you you get treated very very well and and mind you there's all sorts of masonic symbolism when you come in there uh, you know there'll be like an eagle or a, a vulture or the, which is you know connected to other masonic symbolism so we know that there are, are all kinds of connections there and of course we're going to have to get into uh, very shortly why the 33 is important but in a nutshell that was sort of the start for me when jordan started to say have you ever heard of club 33 and i said i had no idea what club 33 was and then it all started to unfold with my research but you've heard of club 33 hadn't you dave i had heard about it years ago that you had to be invited and you know there's obviously very private hotels on mainstream usa that people can stay in and they get full service there and that's where a lot of the hollywood stars when they want to go to disneyland that's where they hang out so i had heard of it i had heard it was a private club but the 33 i had no intention or no idea of knowing what that was all about it's it's pretty amazing. So you go into this club. We already know that there's been a Freemasonic club uh, over at Disneyland for some time. I mean, that goes way back. But and many will say, OK, was Walt Disney a 33rd degree Mason? And of course, that's, you know, when you go up in the Scottish Rite and you see the various degrees, we, we see uh, the 33rd degree. Well, we know for sure that Walt Disney was uh, a member of Demolays growing up. And what Demolays is, is this is sort of like a youth version of Freemasonry. And, you know, it's all based on Jacques Demolay, who, who one of the Templars that was persecuted on Friday the 13th, 1307. And with that story uh, about Jacques Demolay and the Templars, 
that's where we get, of course, that name a lot. That's why the number 13 is also so significant to them. And when you look on the uh, the back of the American $1 bill and in other places, we see that pattern. However, with Walt, we know for sure he was a member of D. Malays. He had already an appreciation for all things Masonic. We also see in other places, uh, such as uh, another fellow I know named Hank Crashaw. He's got an, an incredible Masonic blog on the web, and he's a Masonic scholar. Uh, he he seems to think that Walt was, um, you know, a full Mason, but his records had either been destroyed uh, or, you know, they were lost on purpose. Either way, the, the when we look at the number 33, uh, for those of you who don't know, the, the idea is, is that this is representing the 33 vertebrae of your spine. And we're essentially drawing the light or the energy up each one of those vertebrae to awaken the, the body or the pineal gland to become uh, an, an enlightened person, like the kundalini energy, they call it. We also see the other symbolism, such as in Freemasonry, with Solomon being very significant there, Saul... S-O-L is the Latin for the light, Om is the Hindu for the light, and On or Un is the Egyptian for the light. So we know that this temple of, of Solomon's was up for 33 years, and Jesus was said to have lived for 33 years. Alexander the Great was said to have died at 33. This is all, you know, allegorical uh, you know, ideas that are around this particular symbolism. So, again, it's a very symbolic, significant thing. Now, we also see symbolism here with that ride being right above Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, or sorry, that place being right above the ride for the Pirates of the Caribbean. If, if you've ever ridden on the Pirates of the Caribbean, which you must have on your last visit, obviously, right? Absolutely. Who? How can you not? Absolutely. It's one of my favorite rides. Love Pirates of the Caribbean. When you ride on Pirates of the Caribbean, the very beginning of the ride, you might notice that there's a little restaurant at the beginning. It's called the Blue Bayou Restaurant. And there's uh, typically a little window above that. And and you might not know it if it's lit, lit up, but there could be all sorts of very interesting people in that room looking at you. I mean, they could be world leaders, uh, you know, uh, presidents. Very powerful people. And over the years, we've heard all kinds of different rumors about what goes on in Club 33. Some of those rumors have been anything from dark ones to, you know, people having, you know, celebrations and, you know, exclusive uh, business meetings. Either way, you know that there's people having a whole lot more fun than you are at that moment uh, because the food is fantastic. The drinks are great and all that. Now, Aside from that, the Pirates of the Caribbean is, is, has got incredible symbolism here because when you look at the Pirates of the Caribbean, who were the Pirates of the Caribbean, first of all? Well, we know that the Masonic uh, gets you know their, their traditions passed down from the Knights Templars. Well, after the Knights Templars were greatly persecuted, unjustly, might I add, uh, when in that event I told you about Jacques de Molay, what happened is is that they took their money, uh, <laughs> you know, and and what they started to you know accumulate, and after becoming the Knights of Malta, and they became pirates, which we know when we look at the Jolly Roger and uh, we see that particular flag of the skull and the crossbones, which is also connected to a Masonic lecture known as uh, the Lecture of the Widow's Son. What they did is they took this money and they funneled it away uh, when they went over to Portugal 
Scotland. Uh, when we see with Scotland, we get the Scottish Rite. And then later, uh, we see that their, their money was distributed to start the first banks in the world. Of course, we know in Puerto Rico, we see the Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, and then over in Geneva, Switzerland, and those areas, we see the World Bank. And so, again, we have this Pirates of the Caribbean ride right by Club 33, which is kind of this tribute to their old buddies. It's an inside joke. And that's the funny part about it. And so this, again, uh, you know, Jordan Maxwell told me about this, and I thought it was just so amusing. I thought it was, I thought it was great. But there's, there's more to that. Walt was such a brilliant guy. You really got to admire him. I, 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 I really feel that he was intrigued by the mystery of all these stories and the amazing symbolism. Everything had so many, uh, so much detail and so many levels to it and allegories and, uh, and such fantastic things. And you see that when you look around the park. That's no exception. As an adult, you appreciate these details even more than kids do when you go there. Uh, and one of those, uh, one of those connections is it, we know that there's a Masonic connection big time when you ride the jungle cruise and this was pointed out to me by hank krasher when you ride the jungle cruise you see a box that says you know tools it says workman's tools and the tools belong to h abiff well in the masonic allegories uh we learn about hiram abiff so again you know, I, I've often been told uh, by by folks I've talked to, like an, a guy I know named Sean. I want to give him a shout out if he's listening, because I'm going to mention some stuff that he taught me. Uh, and he's a huge Disneyland fan, lives in California. Uh, but there's been all sorts of members that were Masons, like guys, uh, guys that were Masons, guys that were OTO, Oddfellows, Rosicrucians, Theosophists, Baha'i faith guys. And they embedded sort of symbolism and stuff into certain rides and little hidden areas that that is really cool when you look for it. But again, we have the tools of HBIF. Now, there's something that's even more spectacular than all of that, and that is where Disneyland is built and how it was built. We literally have this occult kind of history that's really, really cool. Let me first of all ask you, have you seen the movie Men Who Stare at Goats? I have not personally. I know I have to see that one. That one is on my list, but I haven't got to it yet. Okay, well, if you watch the movie Men Who Stare at Goats, uh, what you'll learn about is you'll learn about the Stanford Research Institute, uh, which is known as SRI, and it's connected to the Monroe Institute. So these guys did all kinds of stuff like remote viewing uh, and all kinds of psychical experiments. I mean, all the really cool stuff uh, these guys were up to. Well, there was uh, essentially Walt hired on uh, Harrison Buzz Price and Cornelius Vanderbilt Wood. Now, remember those names. Okay, so we look at Price and Wood. And uh, what happened with these guys is is very, very interesting. But when you think of the, the movie Toy Story, think about Buzz and Woody. Okay, so Buzz and Woody are essentially named after these two guys. But these guys were into all kinds of interesting sciences. And so when they were scouting out where to put Disneyland, they put Disneyland on the 33rd parallel. And we know, of course, other places with the 33rd parallel include like Glastonbury Tour, uh, Area 51. Uh, you look at the Great Pyramid. Uh, you get uh, all kinds of stuff like Stonehenge. You get all kinds of crazy places on Earth with strange energy that come up on this area. So they scout this out. They build Disneyland there. And as they're constructing it, this guy was so brilliant. Uh, Wood, I think he was just so far out there and so 
uh, far ahead of his time, essentially, that, uh, you know, he was doing stuff that people had never heard of. And, you know, essentially, he also built other parks such as Six Flags in Texas, which he also built, by the way on the 33rd latitude but anyhow when he built this place behind the castle when you're walking down main street and you walk right through that castle area right behind there we have this kind of intersection uh on these ley lines these magnificent energy ley lines where this place was where this place was put and what he did is he put the carousel there and the carousel was to act like a Tesla coil. And the Tesla coil was to spin the energy around and distribute it out into the park and magnify it so everyone felt really good when they come there. And it's still it's still built like that. They did move the carousel from the original place when we look in Fantasyland, but it's essentially uh, still the same concept. When you were there, how did you feel? Does it make you feel that overall good kind of giddy feeling? Well, of course. I mean, that's what it's designed to do. From the smells of everything to, you know, the smiles on staff faces to the people. You just know when you're going there that you can feel the energy coming off right off the bat. You know, you can feel the the positivity that everyone there has, is kind of calm. They've let their guard down. They're allowing themselves to be a child again. Absolutely. And it's it's absolutely, it's absolutely incredible. When you walk in there, you know, we also see... As soon as we get into Fantasyland, on our left side, uh, on, on, to the top, uh, you know, over uh, by the buildings, by Pinocchio's ride, we see the astronomical clock, which is the same one you find in Prague or the Czech Republic with signs of the Zodiac. We also see that in St. Mark's Square in Venice, but there's all the signs of the Zodiac, zodiacal signs. Uh, and we could go on forever about the stuff on the back of the castle as well, uh, from the Corinthian pomegranate pillars, uh, the triune arches, the uh, Templar design, how there's a chapel up there. But where I want to focus on is the really cool uh, hidden symbolism we also see that has metaphysical qualities. So in Freemasonry, we also have the light being very important, which uh, later on, uh, you know, maybe in our second hour, we're going to have to get into on how that relates into the ancient mysteries or the sons of light, as I like to call them. Uh, but in in the, the the ride, it's a small world, which everybody, of course, has to go visit when they come to Disneyland. Uh, my uh, my friend Sean had taught me about this that 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 whole ride is about the story of the transition of the sun. So when we go through there, we say, oh, "Okay, these are all the little places in the world," and you know, we see, uh, you know, we're going through every single country with all the kids singing. Well, it's actually the sun is the main character of the transition of the light and how the light is illuminating everyone. Uh, and so there's a deeper meaning there, and there is some darker stuff too in rides like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Uh, you know, we see some symbolism there. But, you know, the whole place is so magnificent because it really makes us appreciate Walt Disney. Now, here's one for you. You've seen Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Dwarfs before, haven't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you know me and, and any type of gnome or dwarf. I just love them. Absolutely. Okay, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, the Bible says Israel, and by the way, Israel comes from Egypt. That's Isis, Ra, and El. That's where we get that name. Israel was white as snow. And then when you hear uh, in the other side, we, we talk about the seven dwarfs and we, we hear all their personalities. Well, Walt changed up the original story and mixed it up a little bit. 
And, you know, he had definitely appreciation for the mysteries. We know that from watching stuff like, uh, you know, Donald Duck running around as Pythagoras with the pentagram. We see all kinds of uh, cartoons, all sorts of hidden symbolism there. But when you uh, go look at the seven dwarves, who were they? Well, go into the book of Revelation in the Bible, and that is another book that I would love to talk about before the end of our show today. We'll get into that. But in the book of the Revel- book of Revelation, <clears throat> we see that there are the seven churches of Asia. And the seven churches of Asia are the seven dwarves. Their personalities line up perfectly. And that's another uh, mysterious connection to their uh, to how they're described. So there's there's various things like that that we see that you really appreciate the um, the allegorical detail, uh, the the beauty, the, everything. I mean, I just think he was an amazing man, Walt Disney. Anybody can really take a look at these symbols because they are hidden everywhere. But there are some darker sides to Disneyland that you have also investigated. I'm curious what you were shocked to find out, John. Well, you know, aside from people talking about what had happened with this ritualistic behavior, you know, and there's there's a lot of stories on Reddit and on the web about people saying there's ritualistic occult activity that's gone on after hours over by the Haunted Mansion, uh, even on in the Magic Kingdom side of things over in Disney World, to what had happened over in Disneyland. Uh, but mainly, it's they're constantly dealing with people bringing in their ashes and trying to spread dead people's ashes on the ride, which is very strange. A lot of the rides and attractions are said to be haunted. There's a lot of that kind of talk. But, you know, the main thing we get is people trying to spread untrue rumors uh, about all sorts of terrible things about Walt Disney himself. I tend to think that a lot of these, you know, uh, come from urban legends. And and I'll tell you, over the years, Dave, I've heard some incredible things about beloved figures that we all know. Uh, I mean, maybe you've heard of the the fellow uh, Chuck from the Gong Show. People say about his CIA operative background life. Uh, I've most most certainly heard stories about uh, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, which I have a hard time believing. I know the stuff about Captain Kangaroo is said to be true about his background as, you know, military sniper sort of background. That's a very interesting one to look up. Uh, but probably one of the most interesting people I've heard stuff about, and this has nothing to do with Disneyland. I just want to put that out there. Uh, you know, the, have you ever heard of Max Factor Cosmetics? Yes, I have. I have daughters, man. Okay, well, you know, there's there's stuff out there about John Max Factor. I mean, and when you think Joe Pesci, think about uh, people that would be putting makeup on others and how he got out of one life and transitioned into cosmetics. And that's just what I've heard. So there's all kinds of stuff out there that we get in the conspiratorial world that's that's very, very interesting. But as far as Disneyland you know, I I just want to say that I've always had such a respect for the place. I always feel so happy when I'm there. I feel such a positive energy. In fact, a friend of mine in Florida, uh, his name is Paul, in Celebration, Florida, he and his wife live right by Disney World so they can go there constantly. He feels these place, places have like an angelic energy or a protective energy. So I tend to think there's a there's a there's a good to it all, but I most certainly have heard about, you know, meetings with secret societies and strange things and dark dark practices, but again, I wasn't there, so I can't confirm those. Do you think it's happening though? I mean, 
they have had millions of employees in the last 50-plus years that they have been around. Do you think that there is something strange and ritualistic? Because we do know that there are tunnels underneath that lead to everything. I mean, there's no wonder how they get the money in and out of those places very, very quickly. I mean, there's millions of dollars around that park on a daily basis. And I believe Disneyland is one of the only private corporations that has its own banking system. So do you believe... Yeah, well, you know... Go ahead. Anything is possible. There, there absolutely is tunnels. There's even more so over in Disney World, but there, there are tunnels in Disneyland as well. Now, all I can say is that I can't speak on that personally, but I do know if you look on Reddit, uh, there are some former security guards and there's some former people that say they've walked into some things. Uh, in, uh, and I'm, mainly I'm talking about an incident that I read online that a fellow was talking about that happened over it, uh, sort of a underground area and epcot but uh you know people can do their due diligence and research this but most certainly we have heard reports of such over the years and you got to wonder you know you know what you know where do we draw the line you know do we do we want to believe that that's happening there anything is possible anything anything could be happening i do know that it's a place with all sorts of uh, you know secret areas very powerful people come there there are exclusive areas that are off limits to the public and you can only imagine you know what kind of meetings would you have with the very powerful rich wealthy folks that are sitting around having uh, exclusive clubs you know so who who knows anything could happen do you believe that there is any occult history inside Disneyland? Uh, Well, occult just means hidden or clandestine. So from the point of view of, uh, you know, our respect for the mysteries, uh, you know, symbolism, uh, yes, we have it on that level. Now, one thing that you got to appreciate with the, the Masonic designers and architectonics is that they have a respect for the Neoplatonists. And, and Neoplatonic uh, philosophers and thinkers, one guy that we pull from inspiration, his name is Plotinus. And Plotinus was called the beautiful, and he believed in aesthetics. So the more beautiful your buildings were, the more they raised human consciousness. And we see that to a greater degree in our world now. If you see certain symbolism, like the, the goddess on the Starbucks cup, or when you're driving around and you look at a Mazda in front of you and you think that's a coincidence that it has a little wing symbol, uh, well, duh, that comes from you know the ancient persian world was zoroastrianism was zarathustra the 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 god of creation is ahura mazda and it had this it was a winged god that had that symbol you see it on the back of a car we say is this just a coincidence no it's because these symbols have a powerful psychological effect on our psyche all around us we were controlled by words symbols and colors and sex and sounds and everything man so there's there's no coincidence to these things being there uh, and, you know, I really think that it's 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 a beautiful thing and it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to think about. But now in our world, we've gone away from having that those beautiful building designs and, uh, you know, incredible pillars. And now we just have these kind of boring you know, block looking buildings and the, what we call modern art these days. It's it's strange. It's bizarre. I don't know. You could have a guy putting an old tennis shoe on the ground that's worn out with no laces, and that's art. And that, that that's some invaluable piece of art these days. So getting back to the whole number 33, do you believe then that, of course, 
It could be the masonry number. It could be the 33rd parallel. What do you believe that it actually tallies up to? Do you think it's a masonry? Well, some have said, yeah, some have linked, you know, there's some more pragmatic, conventional, conservative folks that have tried to say, oh, you know, it's nothing. It's just Walt's address. No, that's nonsense. It's I, I believe that it's 100 percent to do with the Masonic. And I think the original intention is is to have 33rd degree members of Freemasonry. Now, let's be honest. Uh, you know, I have lots of friends that are Freemasons and, you know, there we have all sorts of great conversations and they're they're great members of society. Their mo- their idea is, is that Masonry makes good men better men. And the idea is, is that you would have very successful and influential people who are, mis- you know, Freemasons. Uh, you know, it's to be expected. Now, you know, when these guys coming in there, obviously to get Walt to get Walt Disney built, uh, Walt Disney Studios built over in Burbank and to get Disneyland built, he obviously had to know some influential businessmen. And, you know, it kind of makes sense that Walt would make uh, a special place for them to have meetings or to go to or to have business meetings that is, you know, sort of for the, the inside crowd. But Walt himself uh, he's not a guy that just kind of stumbled into these massive connections and influence. Uh, he had a hard life, and he had a, a lot of difficulties to overcome, a lot of trials and tribulations and going bankrupt multiple times and losing everything again and again and again. So I, I, I don't think he was a guy that was just kind of this a hugely connected guy right off the bat that uh, you know people all respected and were wooed by. I think what happened is, is that slowly he was brought into a circle out of admiration for what he was doing. Uh, but I I mean, I, I don't know about, you know, when we start to look uh, at the idea that there could be all kinds of bizarre activities going in Club 33, uh, but I do know that there's some very powerful and important people that meet there. Now, your good friend Jordan Maxwell, who has a lot of respect in the field of conspiracy. Absolutely. Had he ever been in there and had he ever discussed with you what was discussed in some of these private meetings in Club 33? He's been there and uh, he's met with some very influential people uh, around the park. Uh, Obviously, you know, the people that you can even see in the picture I posted uh, where he's with George Lucas, Michael Eisner uh, and the likes. Uh, he basically hinted to me that, you know, without going into details, he just kind of hinted to me that all kinds of uh, things went on there. Uh, now, that could that could mean however you take it. But uh, let's just say that, you know, it's probably stretches from anywhere from people having drinks and dinners to, uh, you know, who knows, maybe meetings about world affairs. Your imagination could run wild. But I will tell you this. We have read and heard all sorts of reports about club 33 and what happens there uh, and and some of them some of them are benign and and friendly and some of them are outrageous uh, but the one thing there that we have to wrap our mind around is here's this very mysterious place filled with occult symbology built on the 33rd parallel with a tesla coil all kinds of strange and hidden passageways and tunnels and meeting rooms and uh hidden passwords and passcodes and it's just a fantastic place i mean it's filled with uh, mysteries and uh, the symbology is there to suggest that whoever's building these things and is a part of it has some kind of inside knowledge. So that part, to me, just intrigues me. I love it. 
Johnny, I'm going to ask you a little bit of a darker question here, and this is a topic that I usually refuse to go into because, A, for 99% of these rumors, there is no proof, and I think it's disgusting people will throw this out. But I'm going to go there anyways and ask the question because it's kind of my job. There are so many rumors in regards to Disneyland having an underground pedophilia ring. And just saying the word pedophilia, just it, it chokes me up. I just want to, you know, it disgusts me, just going like that. Do you think that this is the tinfoil hatters having their tinfoil on too tight? Or do you think that there is some sort of sickness going on behind the scenes at Disneyland by using the park to lure children? Well, that's a very good question. And again, most certainly that's a topic that's been brought up on a lot of conspiracy websites. And they have put that forth. They, they've suggested that this is the uh, meeting place of the Illuminati and all kinds of strange activities go on. Again, the, the problem I have is, is that I like to speak on something if I have firsthand knowledge of it, and I don't. I don't know for sure. But again, since you asked the question, you're already aware that there are people out there that have discussed, uh, have discussed such a disgusting idea. And, you know, wherever this thing comes from, one guy out there claims that he was a security guard uh, that's discussing that. So, do I think it? I I just don't. I don't really have a place to speak on it because you know I I just don't know. I've never talked to anybody that said anything like that. I have talked to people that do have memberships to Club Thirty Three or they have gone there, uh, and they said to me, "It's just you. You'd be surprised who you see there." Uh, if people people that are members of Club Thirty Three don't even talk about what goes on there or what they see there. So that's that's kind of mysterious. All we know is that it's for very influential people uh and you know it's a, a really interesting place i appreciate you answering that as best as you could in a difficult question i just you know this whole conversation about that topic that is going up i think this is the new questionnaire of trying to ostracize people and that's why i rarely if ever will bring up that topic at all but some people they just want to learn about it they want to know they feel that it is it is happening i think that topic gets thrown around a little too much and well you know it's it's something that's all over the news right now i mean we're hearing about that topic uh you know in europe most certainly with people that have been involved in those sort of activities and people in high powerful positions. So yeah, it's becoming sort of the norm now that uh, these psychopathic individuals and places of power that it's somehow that they're able to operate rings of that sort of stuff. So it's natural. People are asking questions. They're saying, is that what the rich elite powerful folks are doing behind closed doors? You know, the one thing I will say though is that there are, uh, you know, various esoteric groups that do come together and they don't do those sort of activities and they're simply interested in doing what's known as the great work and following the path of the light and uh, doing good work in the world. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a strange world we live in these days. But the truth is, uh, like uh, the quote from Solomon, is that there's nothing new under the sun. So all these sort of things have been happening for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. 
All right, my friend, I'm going to get you to hold on because we are going to hop out for a break here momentarily at the top of the hour. Johnny Enoch is our guest, the actual founder of Spaced Out Radio. He is a researcher of everything that is occult, metaphysical, supernatural, paranormal. He wears a lot of hats and he's a very, very good friend of this show, a person whose word I trust very, very highly. And I thank you for that. Hey, during the break, while you can, check out Patreon.com. For a buck a month, you can become a patron of Spaced Out Radios. Also, check out the Encounter Online, our brand new news section that we are forming. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio. I'm your host, Dave Scott. We'll be back right after this. From coast to coast to coast, Blacklight Uncharted is taking on the paranormal across Canada. From ghostly hauntings to the UFOs flying above in conjunction with MUFON Canada, they're closely investigating what's going on in the northern skies and checking out the apparitions that walk among us. Check out our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. We want to know your thoughts, we want to hear your experiences, and we want you to share your stories. The answers are out there, and we intend to find them. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the space travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. The third Monday of every month, Spaced Out Radio is going to bring you a different look at everything paranormal. Welcome to The Reporters. Jim Mallard, Vanessa Hogel, Denise Garcia, and Christina George join me, Dave Scott, for a look at the weird and strange from the other side of the microphone. We'll break down ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and the people investigating them. The paranormal media has never been heard like this. Come listen to The Reporters. It's paranormal news at its finest. Welcome to The Encounter. At spaceoutradio.com, The Encounter Online is SOR's trusted news source for everything weird and strange going on around the world. This is news editor Eric Markham. Our team of journalists are scouring the planet for those strange stories that rarely make the mainstream. No fear-mongering or fake news here. Head over to spaceoutradio.com and encounter The Encounter. Hey, this is Canadian Paranormal Investigator Mike Moore. The third Wednesday of every month, I'll be teaming up with Dave Scott to bring you Ghosts of the Great White North. Each month, we will bring on guests from across Canada to discuss their ghostly encounters. Canada is a paranormal hotbed with stories you've never heard, so we're going to bring them to you. So get comfy in your Chesterfield, grab a donut, and join us, eh? Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sight Lines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sight lines. All your information is 100% confidential, and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report, and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? 
Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit and expect a miracle. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us, from radio commercials to banners and social media. Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com, where I... Vincent Zunza and my super sleuth partner Alexandra Sullivan track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest, from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Oh, there's only one way to rock. Loud and proud. In high definition. Radio 702 Rocks. Las Vegas. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. SpacedOutRadio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Welcome back to the second hour of Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Kicking off the week on a really good note here with Johnny Enoch. Before we bring Johnny back on, I do want to remind you that tomorrow night, the ET experience with Samantha Mowat will be on tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time. Samantha, one of our most popular guests on this show on a monthly basis, so... We will welcome her into the studio tomorrow night. 
If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio if you want to connect with us live during the show. You can also give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. We're also on RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, and on Stitcher. Our website is SpacedOutRadio.com, where we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for 5 bucks a month, read up on the encounter on online our brand new news section and if you head over to patreon.com it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com for as low as one dollar a month you can become a patron of spaced out radios as well we want to welcome in our terrestrial radio stations tuning us in tonight wqee 99 rock the key down in noonan georgia and 107.7 fm in new orleans the united public radio network which also broadcasts in over 160 countries around the world we're live in las vegas on renegade talk radio and if you're listening in on revolution radio remember the double r machine is a donation station financed by you the valued listener head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today bill cardwell has set the password for tonight in the sor space travelers club interfenestration interfenestration is your password make sure you use it wisely space travelers as bill sets the password each and every night tonight we are talking about the occult and much more with johnny enoch johnny welcome back Am I am I here now? I, th- you, I think you can are. you hear me? I heard you hit you your was... microphone button. So yes, you are on the air. You are uh, on the amazing. air live, caller. How are you? Amazing. I'm, I'm here live in the flesh. I, I do want to say, if anyone else wants to learn about this subject, about all the hidden aspects of the architectonics and uh, the thirty third parallel that Disneyland was built on, and all of the background story, including the whole story about how Walt actually had a falling out with Wood and it erased his name from the history for a while, and then of course came back. He came back around later. You know, people brought him back into the history by looking in the archives. Check out the book called Latitude 33, Key to the Kingdom by Walter Bosley. Uh, I, I read this book. I thought it was fantastic. It's how I learned about the 33rd parallel at first, and I started interviewing people. Uh, but you can get this on Amazon in a Kindle copy very cheaply. It's a, it's a great read. So, yeah, do check it out. You mentioned that you have talked to a few people who belong to this club and have been in Club 33 when it comes to Disneyland. When they talk about it, are they quite open about what is there, or do they try and and make or change the topic, shall we say, quite quickly on that? Because if I'm cons- if I'm reading this right, it might be a lot like the Masons, where you know certain topics just are not discussed. Well, that's very possible because when you look at Club Thirty Three, there's aspects of it that are like a Masonic lodge. Uh, there's certain things that we do see in a Masonic Lodge. Uh, you know, we see the two pillars of Boas and Yaquin. Uh, and I guess there's a, there's a joke there I could tell, but I maybe I should avoid it. It's a little crude uh, about Yaquin and jacking and what the pillars look like and where they come from, the Osirian cults, also a connection uh, to Egypt. Uh, those people that follow Egyptology and understand what happened to Osiris is phallus. We'll get that joke. Uh, anyhow, they... The people I've talked to, a lot of them went on on like day passes and stuff. During the day, you know, it's pretty tame. 
uh, pretty calm around there. You might, you know, get someone having a drink or dessert and be greeted by very friendly staff. In fact, if you Google it right now, you'll find people that will share pictures of what it was like at Club 33. But, you know, there's there's probably special events and off times when other things happen. Who knows? Maybe Masonic meetings have taken place there. Traditionally, I, I tend to think they were, uh, you know. There, there are other little emblems and uh, cards and whatnot that we can find historically that say the Masonic Club over at Disneyland. And some Masonic members have said traditionally that uh, Masonic members uh, got into Disneyland for free. So there is that aspect to it. I haven't heard firsthand anybody sharing anything about those particular meetings. And again, anything that we draw is going to come from come from the web. So. I, as a researcher, I only speak on stuff that I've confirmed when I've talked to people firsthand. But it's again, it's a fascinating place filled with mystery, and that's what intrigues me about the whole thing. Out of all the mysteries you learned about Disneyland in your research, what are some of the topics that absolutely thrill you, that absolutely maybe stun you, that you didn't believe? Well. You know, really, as I mentioned to you, this connection to the the Masonic symbolism there that we find with the Templars, then the Pirates of the Caribbean, as well as Club 33, and the mysteries of Saul Ohm on, you know, we got to look at where does all that stuff come from? And it really comes from the ancient world when you start to dig into this topic. And, you know, there's there's the mysteries that we find all through the ancient world that are connected even to the history of America. And these Masonic mysteries go hand in hand. Uh, and, and as you probably know that uh, Walt had put something known in there as the, uh, the Hall of Presidents, uh, and he had, uh, you know, uh, uh, Abe Lincoln there, and we have this real appreciation for America. And America really is the first Masonic Republic. And that's where the, the Statue of Liberty came from. The Statue of Liberty was a gift from French, the French Grand Orient Temple Masons. And it was a gift to the first Masonic Republic. And people say, well, how does that tie in and where does this all come from? Well, first of all, I mentioned earlier, you know, the serpentine mysteries or the, the sons of light. And you know, there, there's an idea that, uh, you know, that there's a connection right to all the ancient societies and secret societies to the mysteries of the serpent. And the Kundalini serpent is what's represented as your spine. I, I'm sure you've heard the word Kundalini before, haven't you? Absolutely, I have, yes. Okay, so we're drawing the Kundalini serpent up the spine, essentially, what we're talking about with the 33 vertebrae of your spine. And we have seven endocrine glands in your body, the top endocrine gland being the pineal gland that you're awakening, where your dimethyltryptamine, your DMT is created. We awaken that area. And each of these are connected uh, historically and hermeneutically to the seven planets. So there's a huge occult hermeneutical uh, significance there, which is very, very interesting. But a lot of people don't know that even America's name comes from the serpent. It actually comes from Amaruka, the land of the plume serpent. Uh, and Amaru was the Incan serpent god. And we uh, see the other uh, Incan serpent god actually is Viracocha. And Viracocha 
according to my friend Brian Forrester, who I was just in Egypt with, and he's 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 documented this in his book. Viracocha is the serpentine migrations of the ley lines and energy lines that go around our planet that the ancient master builders, that's why Masons call themselves master builders, the ancient master builders who were able to manipulate and levitate stone and 1,200-ton obelisks, they were able to do this, and that's why these – uh, mysteries of masonry got passed down into the Eleusianian and Dionysian rites and all the ancient mystery schools. Well, anyways, these serpentine mysteries we find, we find them everywhere. Of course, if you look over in Mexico or the Yucatan, where I just was in, in uh, South America, Mesoamerica, we find uh, Quetzalcoatl or Kukulakan, uh, who's this serpentine godlike savior. Uh, we find the Nega serpent. Uh, over uh, in Cambodia and in Angkor Wat, we have the serpentine symbolism there, and there's a connection to inner earth civilizations there, and that's a huge topic. Who were the inner earth civilizations that we can get into coming up? Anyhow, uh, as as I was mentioning, the serpent is also found all through Egypt. Uh, you see, the serpent is on the headdress of the the pharaoh. Uh, or, sorry, we don't use the expression pharaoh too much anymore from the chematology perspective. It's really a king because th that's a whole other topic about why Egypt is actually a theocracy uh, and they pretty much chose their kings like we choose presidents, you know, like it's like a puppet that you put up there. Uh, anyhow, what you may notice also, have you ever seen the medical symbol, Dave, of the caduceus with the two serpents on the staff? Absolutely, I have. I think everybody has. Amazing. Yeah, I, I was I was documenting these when I was over in Ephesus in Turkey. I was absolutely amazed to find them all over the place, even in Greece and other areas. What we see with that is it it's supposed to come from Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus. Others have said Moses. It is essentially the two serpents of the Kundalini energy climbing up the spine and then awakening with the two swan wings with the left and right hemisphere of the brain into the pineal gland. Well, the headdress of the king has a uh, serpent and a vulture coming out of it. So we see this polarity or this uh, awakening of this particular energy. So these were the serpent gods. They were a class of people. That's why the Druids serve the hue. And that's why we have hue man. Hue were the serpent gods. These were these uh, awakened masters. This was an incredible symbolism that was very, very important. And this was the awakening of the astral light or the inner light. Uh, Again, we even see this passed down into the ancient imperial sun cults, uh, you know, seeded into religions, seeded into our symbolism of the sun or the light and his 12 helpers or 12 constellations, signs of the, the zodiac. Uh, you see that in the uh, Mithraic rites with Mithra. Uh, anyhow, the bottom line is, is that here's this beautiful appreciation uh, for this, and we see this passed down into the mysteries. Now you're you're you got a lot of American listeners, am I right? Or is it is it mostly Canadian? Or you got a no, lot of lot of Americans? We're, we're about seventy percent American. Beautiful. Okay. Well, I, I I love America, and I especially love the history of the United States of America. It's a very important and uh, a beautiful and amazing history on how it took place. But really, uh, we have to go back into a guy uh, named Sir Francis Bacon. Uh, now, was Sir Francis Bacon, 
you know, a, a lot of people have heard of this fellow before, and they've you know, speculated who he was. But really, his real name was Sir Francis Tudor. Uh, he was a bastard son of Queen Elizabeth I, the quote-unquote virgin queen. And there's a great interview I did uh, with my dear friend and chematology teacher, Stephen Mailer, that I put up on the web uh, about this. But anyhow, uh, Sir Francis Bacon is the true identity of William Shakespeare. William Shakespeare, there's no way he was a Stratford man that could barely spell his own name. That's that's total bullshit, if I can say that on here. But here's the thing. He was an absolute genius. Uh, he gave us so so many teachings of the Rosicrucian, the Masonic, and that, in fact, that's one of the Masonic secrets that he's sort of a pioneer of that. He wrote Shakespeare and those particular plays in order to prepare people for what he called the New Atlantis, which was going to be America. And what happened with this, he he prepares this, this book called the New Atlantis, and he starts to put this idea forth. So we see this great Masonic conspiracy come forth to start this up and what was known as the New World. So when these guys started coming together uh, and secret societies started plotting things, we, we see an incredible pattern. And you probably looked at the story of the Illuminati, uh, which had good intentions when it started, but the Illuminati was started uh, with a man named Adam Weishaupt. Uh, and with Adam Weishaupt, uh, he, they put this together on May 1st, 1776. And here's a fun one for you. When you ask the guys in Rachel, Nevada, why Area 51 is called Area 51, they'll tell you that it means May Day. And May Day is the day when the Illuminati was started. It's a distress signal. So it's very interesting there, this connection. So if we move a few months forward, we have the American Revolution that takes place. And after the American Revolution, what, what happens? Things start to settle down. We go to Philadelphia. Uh, now, this is a story, Dave, that I just – I got to get this in here before we go to any other questions. This is one of my favorite stories. Uh, Manly P. Hall mentions it in his Secret Destiny of the America book. Uh, we get this story with Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan shared this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole world. The date is July 4th. 1776. We have the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, we're looking at the Constitution here. We we go to this room where everybody is, you know, they're nervous, they're frightened, they're worried of the redcoats. They're not sure what's going to happen. Are they going to be hung? Are they going to be killed? What's going to happen? Are the British going to be, you know, kill them all? Who knows? So they have this incredible document, which, by the way, was written by geniuses. Uh, we have, you know, the likes of Thomas Paine, we have uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, Jefferson. We have uh, this beautiful document. A mysterious visitor comes from behind closed doors, and this visitor shows up, and everyone's stunned. They're like, you know, who's this? What the hell is going on? This mysterious visitor says to them, "Don't be afraid to sign that document." God meant for America to be free. Now sign that document. And and they signed the document. And of course, Hancock's signature is huge because he was startled. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the story is, as uh, my friend Stephen Mailer had reminded me uh, most recently, is that we're told that, you know, the, the signature from Hancock was huge because George III would have had a problem reading it. But no, the answer is with this, with all the records, that there was a mysterious visitor there that startled the hell out of them. And some in the ancient aliens community has speculated, was this an E.T.? Others have said, was it an angel or a spirit guide? Others have said, maybe it was a member of a secret society. But the point is that 
this visitor disappeared, America had a tremendous destiny ahead of it, and it went forth. But the whole point is is that there have always been these keepers of the mysteries. There's always been secret societies having a hand in the world, and they've worked behind the scenes. And their mysteries have, you know, gone, uh, come and gone. Well, great kingdoms were, uh, you know, falling apart, and they've kind of hidden these secrets in the background, passed them to each other, and they've sort of helped us, ushered us in with new philosophies and, and wisdom. And I just think it's absolutely amazing that we have those that still appreciate the mysteries so i think it's very beautiful connecting disneyland to egypt there are many people who believe the symbology actually travels back four thousand plus years do you believe in that what was the last part again you just cut out for me do you believe that there is some sort of symbology tying disneyland going back to egypt four thousand years ago Okay, with Egypt and Disneyland, the the connections that I could see is that, okay, we have the connection with the 33rd parallel and the connection with the Great Pyramid. Okay, so we do have a connection with wood, you know, wanting to draw the same type of energy there. Uh, You know, we see that these mysteries, the Masonic mysteries, there would be a connection uh, with the Masonic and Egypt for sure. Uh, because we know the Masonic aprons are just like the the priests uh, from Egypt, uh, you know. But other than that, I mean, I don't know if I would say that there's a lot of, uh, you know, hidden connections other than the obvious ones of the occult or metaphysical side. But I do think that everything that we have, for the most part, we can make a connection to Egypt, whether it's things in our language, uh, whether it's things uh, of our um, magical or metaphysical tradition. Uh, You know, it doesn't matter if we're talking about the New Age kind of stuff from candles and aromatherapy to reflexology. As Stephen Mailer tells me, we can all thank Egypt. And, you know, it's very, very interesting. Uh, How many of you out there, uh, you know, like to say, hey, I just turned the light on? Or uh, is this thing on? And you say, where does that word on come from? You know, I have no idea why the on is there. Think back to what we talked about with the Club 33 and Sol Om On or Un. Okay, so the the city of the light where the light was worshipped in Egypt was called by the Greeks Heliopolis. But to the Egyptians, this was on. Uh, and this is this is where we get on for the light. Now, when we look at the sun god Horus, this is why you have Horuses uh, in, in a day. How many Horuses? Well, how many hours do you have in a day? The sun rises on the Horus has risen. Uh, so the horizon, the the bad guy, the darkness set. Uh, this is why the sun sets. And so it's it's absolutely incredible. How many traditions that we get in from this particular part of the world? Let me ask you this, Dave. Have you ever heard what the ancient name for Egypt was? I have no idea. Fill us in. Okay, here we go. Let's have fun with this. The The ancient name for Egypt was actually Kem. And you might be saying, okay, well, that doesn't do us a lot of good. What does that mean? Well, Kem essentially just means the black land. And what it means by chem or how we get chemit is that this is also where we get the words alchemy and chemistry. And a lot of the great alchemical texts and chemistry and alchemical knowledge came from this particular amazing 
place and, and the ancient mysteries that were passed down into it. But it was called the Black Lattice because when the Nile would flood, a black soil would come up forth from it. And actually, the name, the, the name Egypt that we use today is actually comes from a Greek word, Egyptos. Uh, and the short end of that is that it was actually a translation from Hetkapetah. Uh, or the place of projection of the principle of Ptah, or the place where the projection of Ptah manifested. And that's a whole other subject about uh, the title of Ptah. But here's the thing, is that when you look at what a lot of the guys that you have on the show come on, they're, they're doing the paranormal research, they're going out and they're doing magical traditions, they're holding up crosses, they're, they're using certain symbolism, drawing circles, all that stuff. I mean, this stuff all comes back from the ancient world. It all comes back from ancient Kemet. Uh, and so, I, again, I don't know if people tie that in. Even the magic and witchcraft that we get from the British Isles, uh, we, we draw that back from those places. Do, do you still get people on here, the paranormal hunters that are, are using this sort of symbology and, and oils and all that? We get paranormal teams nowadays, John, who claim to be doing everything that's scientific. And I throw that out the window the minute they try and go all sciency on me. <laughs> so the 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 one thing with with this stuff, though, I truly believe that in a way it is science. It's an ancient consciousness technology, and when we draw a circle, uh, or uh, you know, or we're we're looking at what a wormhole is, uh, or when we're looking at crop circles or fairy rings which is another area I've spent considerable amount of time, man. I've driven around Ireland looking for fairies and talking to people that have had experiences with, you know, what they call the good people. And, uh, you know, they talk about fairy rings and underground entrances to subterranean civilizations. It's very, very interesting that there is this ancient science of, uh, you know, uh, making these particular circles to enter through them, uh, you know, and to go into other places and to bend space time. And I, I just think it's absolutely fascinating that we've lost touch with this. And, and you, you mentioned they treat it like a science. Well, let me tell you something. When I was in Egypt, I went to this place called Saqqara, and Saqqara is just absolutely incredible. And, and when you go there, there there's this, this platform that you can stand upon. And one thing that is about these people, the ancient Kamishans, is that they knew how to take every crystal, every stone, every mineral, and give it a resonance, a sound resonance that could take your energy and magnify it and place it into other places. And just these are like literally quantum energy trans, transferring devices. They're absolutely amazing, transferring and generating. So somebody could go to this place, uh, this this place that we went to in Saqqara, which is called the Healing Hospital, and uh, this is also where we get the word sacred from. Uh, and the uh, Saqqara, sacred. There's a there's a great reason for that. You go to this place. Someone stands on top of a platform, and then you have uh, uh, other other folks that can go send sit inside of uh, a little area that has this place called a box that you can put your head in. And when someone uh, tones a sound nearby or, or starts to make the sacred ohm sound or uh, uh, starts toning any kind of sound vibratory
the healing platform and work like an MRI scanner and start to relay a sound vibrational copy of whatever's going on physically in that person's body over to the receivers. And I posted some videos uh, of Stephen Mailer talking about this when we were there, and it's on my YouTube channel. If you check this place out, it's a real trip. And and these guys had this kind of a, a technology where they were able to use sound waves to uh, spin these kind of discs to be able to levitate things or move them around so they became weightless. Uh, they had tapped into electromagnetic, electromagnetic energy, all sorts of fascinating stuff there. And uh, one thing that uh, I do think is very interesting when we look at areas like the Great Pyramid, for example, which I'm sure you've seen lots of pictures uh, of the pyramids, yes? Absolutely. Who hasn't? Okay, well, one thing I think is very interesting uh, about the pyramids, uh, you know, is that underneath the pyramids, uh, there's the Giza Plateau. And under, uh, uh, underneath the Giza Plateau, sorry, there's the Osirian Shaft. So we have like a sort of a, a really deep, almost New York subway station kind of deep tunnel system that's underneath these things, water channels, for the lack of a better term. Uh, and they're absolutely amazing. They go underneath this entire thing. And by the plateau where the pyramids are, there's these holes in the ground that, you know, the, the chemistry school believes, okay, were these for using solar energy to heat up the water channels underneath these things and then use that to magnify energy. Because the Great Pyramid itself is built like... Uh, a power plant or a, a quantum energy generating device or a teleportation device. It's absolutely amazing. Inside of it, we find granite and then we find sandstone and limestone on the outside. Uh, and it's so perfectly built and it's, it's almost flawless when you go in there and put together this incredible mathematical precision for this supreme edifice that's just so magnificent. And you look at this thing. People have had all kinds of incredible experiences entering inside of it. Have you ever heard of the experience when Napoleon visited uh, and Napoleon was up in the Great Pyramid and he came out white as a ghost and literally had this out-of-body experience where his life flashed before his eyes? I mean, people have these experiences all the time. I think these, these are incredible technologies that we're just beginning to understand. So do you believe then that there is some sort of symbolism between what we are seeing back then in Egypt that still is quite prevalent to what we are going through as a society and life expectancy today. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, look at all the stuff that we're still doing and practicing from them. Uh, for example, uh, you know, uh, what, what had happened in ancient Egypt is that the we, we have to look at Egypt like this. Stephen Mailer, again, who's my chemistry teacher, uh, and, and of course, uh, I've also drawn from the, the others that were in the chemistry school, Patricia Iwan, uh, Yusuf Iwan, Muhammad Ibrahim, uh, uh, everyone else is just absolutely incredible. If you guys are ever interested in learning more about chemistry, check out chemistry.com. Uh, but it, Stephen taught me to look at Egypt like an onion. So what we got to do is we got to look at this onion like this, is that there's been so many different cycles of people that, that came along there and civilizations that picked up where the last ones left off. If you look today, 
we see the Islamic layer. We peel back that layer, and underneath that layer, uh, you know, you go to the Coptic Christian layer. If you go beyond that layer, you have a Jewish layer. And after the Jewish layer, we have the Roman layer. After the Roman layer, we went to the Greeks. The Greeks had a huge impression on on Egypt, and that's where we get a lot of our uh, some of our occult and metaphysical knowledge came from, you know, not only the Macedonian Alexander the Great that came there with his Ptolemaic kings and was extracting that information from what he could get out of the priests, and that was passed down into Alexandria with the Library of Alexandria, which we know was burned and robbed. Everything was probably taken to the Vatican and stored away, and the Templars probably had access to that, and all kinds of secret knowledge came out of there. But he also had Thonis Heracleon, which was the lost sunken city outside of there with the, the great lighthouse of Pharos of the ancient world, which is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. I was just at the British Museum checking out that Thonis Heracleon exhibit. It was absolutely fabulous. But beyond the Greeks who actually wanted to become Egyptian, and they did everything they can to you know absorb the culture, to observe it and protect it, uh, we go back to the Persians. And, you know, uh, before the Persians, you know, we have all these other different cycles that came along. And the Egyptians we have right now, are sorry, the Egyptians that we want to refer to uh, in these different stages, the dynastic Egyptians, shall we call them, found Egypt uh, around five, some say 7,000 years ago. And so when we look at Egypt, we have two different ways of looking at it, my friend. And this is how we, we just start to discover the really cool stuff. You want to get into the really cool stuff, the really cool mysteries? we got to start digging in like this. We have the dynastics, and when you look at Egypt, we look at stuff and we go, okay, we have this really incredible stuff that's cut in granite, and it's got amazing details. It's fantastic. These statues that are flawless that um, you know have all these layers and, and precise cuts and Fibonacci sequences and everything else, as Chris Dunn has pointed out, uh, over at the likes of Luxar Temple. And then we have the dynastic Egyptians with their basic copper tools and crude markings and crude uh, hieroglyphics uh, on these reliefs. Uh, so where we're really looking for the cool stuff, for where the super high-tech stuff was, uh, is in what they call the pre-dynastics. So the pre-dynastic civilization was there in Egypt. They didn't even leave any hieroglyphs on some of the, the, the greatest stuff. And, and, and Stephen has suggested that, you know, hey, maybe they were using telepathy. Maybe they had greater senses than this civilization that was there before knew some really cool stuff that we're just trying to figure out now. Everyone else that came along started copying copying the styles of the originals. They want to be like the original ones that were running through there. They tried to get in there. Uh, and so what we got to say is what happened to this original cycle, these this the super advanced groups that had come along the way. Now, this is where we get into the stories of the Atlanteans. Uh, and you want to talk about uh, giants uh, with elongated heads and six fingers and all kinds of strange stuff we get from the ancient world. Well, you're going to see it because... It's it's really it starts to get really strange because in when we're there in Egypt we start to see stuff like uh, fifteen to twenty five foot coffins or sarcophagi over at the at the museum uh, that they don't have bodies in them but they're very very interesting how big these are we see reliefs or depictions on the walls of giants uh, among humans we start to see interactions of this ancient symbolism and what I think happened over time. 
another group came in there, or a different priestcraft came in there. Uh, some have said this came out of what was known as a Scarlet Council and started to corrupt the symbolism and create a religion that was, you know, very much based on convincing the kings at that particular time that they needed to give all these grains and riches and wealth over to the priests and over to this religion at the time in order for them to enter into the afterlife. So we had all these original beautiful symbols, uh, such as the Ankh, uh, and the Ankh is one of the oldest um, forms of the cross next to the proto uh, Hindu cross and the Tao, uh, and the the Ankh is the you know the female reproductive system there and the energizing uh, you know it, eternal life form that we start to see. But we see all these symbols being corrupted over time, and so this is where your story of Moses comes from. Uh, this is and th- and that story as as Stephen has pointed out. Uh, that hypothesis was, or that theory was first suggested by Sigmund Freud, who figured this out. Because these priests, they had this age of what's known as Amen. And I want to tie this into what you asked me. Because the age of Amen is the age of darkness. Amen means to hide something, to obscure it, to put it in darkness. All three Abrahamic religions to this day say Amen at the end of of their prayers. Uh, and this is absolutely connected to Egypt. Uh, when you think of Amun Ra, uh, well, uh, some like to say it's a Greek word that basically means agreed, but that's absolutely nonsense. Think about where the Greeks went. Uh, the Greeks went to Egypt. Everybody went to Egypt to get any, any knowledge that was worthwhile. You had to come to Egypt. And so that's where I tied in. I mean, all of our symbolism, all of our sayings, all these ideas all come there. Even the word nature, you get the word nature it comes from the Latin natura, uh, and from the Greek thesis, it's literally like the uh, the the por- it comes from the netter, the the netter, the portals to the the underworld of the gods, uh, and it comes from this the divine nature. So this this is absolutely amazing that we all draw from there, and it's all around us. But especially the mystery schools, especially the secret societies, understand the importance. Do you find then, and this question comes from Eric, that the pyramids were for burials or for something else? Uh, Absolutely not. They were not for burials. Now, this idea that we have that uh, the Great Pyramid was a tomb for Khufu, uh, that's nonsense. You know, uh, I will give you the short version of the story that there is this little uh, placard with the name Khufu found. Uh, and it's the, the idea that we get that this would have been used for Khufu because, uh, you know, there was a, a rose granite box. It's a resonant sound box. It's up in the king's chamber. Uh, you know, uh, we've actually seen the tomb where Khufu was adjacent to the pyramids over on uh, in the area of the Giza Plateau. So I think it's funny that we're still even thinking that that was ever the case. But there's no way. I've been in the Great Pyramid, and I'll tell you that it is absolutely phenomenal to be in there. I mean, the way that it's designed, it's so perfect and so beautiful. It is, as Manly P. Hall wrote in The Secret Teachings of All Ages, it's a sermon in stone. You go in this magnificent place, and it's overwhelming uh, to go up into the king's chamber, the queen's chamber, to climb way 
down underneath. Uh, and it's endless is when you go under the thing, uh, you climb all the way to the bottom and you have to crawl down your hands and knees by sand into another area that opens up in into the basin. I mean, it's so huge and so magnificent. It's it's a technology. Now, let me tell you something, Dave, uh, that relates to that story. Uh, there's actually a, a story that comes back from the ancient world. And it's related to giants, and this is this is another favorite story of mine. Um, this this story comes from essentially uh, the Arabian Nights or a thousand and one nights. Uh, and if, if those of you have ever heard of like the story of Aladdin uh, and you know all those great Persian uh, Arabic sort of stories, they all come back from the Arabian Nights. Uh, well, there's a story that's inspired by that of some great giants that built the pyramids. And I, I don't think that giants built the pyramids. I do think that they cohabitated with uh, regular sized humans. And, you know, we did have uh, giants in Kemet and all around the world. And that's a very big, very big part uh, of all the other great topics uh, about where the mysteries come from and, and different maritime civilizations around the world. But these giants were known as the Shedai, just like we have the word El Shaddai, uh, or the, the mighty ones. So these giants were said to have placed all these gold and treasures underneath the pyramids. Well, in the year 810 uh, CE or AD, uh, there was a caliph uh, known as El Mamun. Now, I have been told that it's actually his son, uh, which is Muhammad al-Mamun, that went on this particular expedition. Uh, but for the, the sake of the original story, I'll tell the original story. Uh, the, the Caliph al-Mamun was said to be a man of science. And again, some will dispute whether he was all that scientific. But they say that he was interested in astronomy and sciences and that he was very interested in the pyramid, how the pyramid was built, what was in the pyramid, and if he could get this. So what he did is he rounded up his best faithful and loyal servants in the area where he was in Iraq uh, or in Baghdad of Iraq. And at the time, the caliph put this together, and these were good, loyal, and faithful uh, Muslims. And they also wanted to get a treasure. Uh, and, and Manly P. Hall has actually uh, done a wonderful job relaying this original story. Uh, but there, there are things we got to look at with this story, as the Kemet School pointed out. So he put this great group together, and the story is that he came to the Great Pyramid, and it was magnificent in its structure. That, uh, you know, some will say that there was it was absolutely smooth and there was no casing stones removed and that it reflected uh, from, you know, the, the light of the sun. Uh, you know, other ways that we look at this, the Kemet School perspective is that during a great cataclysm uh, that these were, sh the stones were partially shaken off. The, the whole point of this is that the entrance that we go through by the pyramid today and around it, there is this robber's entrance or robber's tunnel. And this tunnel was supposedly made by uh, El Mamun's men that they perfectly knew the spot to hit into the pyramid to go in there looking for this great treasure that had been guarded by demons and supernatural monsters and it was put there by giants. The idea is, is that they never really found anything, uh, but 
you know, they knew were to perfectly enter in through this particular pyramid. Uh, now, some have said maybe the Greeks tipped them off. There'd already been expeditions by uh, the, the Romans and the Greeks. So we don't know exactly that part. But the bottom line is, is that there's a, a huge connection to that mythology. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of theories about what the pyramid was used for or who built it. Uh, I'll tell you, I think that the pyramid was built uh, by a very advanced and sophisticated society. I think they came even before the giants. I think that they had built out many areas all around the world. Uh, have you ever heard of Pangea, Dave? Yes, I have. Okay. Pangea, everyone, if they're listening, is the world being a supercontinent where everything's all connected. It's one giant piece, yes? So we have the ancient uh, Pan – I believe there was an ancient Pangean civilization at one point that became very, very advanced. Uh, and there no doubt perhaps were the society that was so mathematically advanced that they had – put these great structures in many places around the earth. Uh, and at some point, for some reason, they left and they took off. Other groups came here, uh, you know, such as the giants, which I believe the giants, when we look at the stories of the Nephilim, uh, which are mentioned in the Bible uh, and in the book of Enoch, we know the stories of Anak, or some have talked about the Anunnaki, those who from heaven came, perhaps uh, you know, uh, others have said in the theories about where these giants could have come from, perhaps they landed here after a fallout uh, between the areas of Marduk and Tiamat. Maybe there was a fallout by uh, what's today known as the asteroid belt. Uh, some have suggested this for many years in the ufology community, that there was something that happened there. Uh, and most recently, Corey Good and David Wilcock have suggested a similar idea. Uh, the point is, though, Dave, Dave, here's the big, here's the big uh, area that we have to look at with this. Most people have heard that we've had a cataclysm. And this cataclysm happened approximately 12,000 years ago. And this is very important that we look at this. It doesn't matter if you're into religions, magic, spirituality, energy, all this stuff that we're looking at. Where do all our traditions, where is all this coming from? Uh, we have to start tracing our roots back to these particular places. 12,000 years ago, some very bad things happened on the earth. Okay? Uh, what happened is, is that we had this massive destruction upon the earth things were ripped apart uh when i talked to when i've talked to graham hancock and i met with him not too long ago his idea is that we had something known as the younger dryas cataclysm uh and some will say you know did this happen twelve thousand five hundred years ago some will say twelve thousand eight hundred and sixty years others will have all kinds of dates the bottom line is is that the many of the records state that we had floods all over the earth we had all kinds of terrible things Graham says, okay, we had an asteroid that hit, and it probably came right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, you know, melted the, the polar ice caps, and, you know, we had this massive flooding and destruction and all this sort of stuff. Uh, others will say this is connected to some kind of a solar storm and solar waves of, of fire. Well, as Brian Forrester ha had said to me, it's probably all of the above, uh, we know that the Earth's magnetic field was taken down. And the interesting thing about this is that when I was with Brian going to these various temples, if you look at these temples, Dave, like Luxor and everything, these temples are actually 23 degrees off. 
from the cardinal directions. So the Earth used to be vertical at one point. And when the Earth was vertical, it was knocked 23 degrees onto its axis point. That means that the really nice, tropical, beautiful places on this planet probably were up at the Arctic Circle where that is today, hence why we find mammals with partially digested tropical flora in their stomachs to this day there, and down at what's known as Antarctica. There was all kinds of incredible, amazing stuff, and we can only theorized that maybe the ancient Pangean civilizations and maybe later groups came and occupied those particular areas, as we greatly believe due to the fact that the Nazis and others had gone there on expedition, expeditions uh, like Base 211, New Schwabland, uh, Operation High Jump with Admiral Byrd and all that, and, and found all sorts of amazing stuff there. Well, anyways, when we look at this particular uh, incident that happened with this cataclysm, uh, it wiped everything out, and that serpentine migration path of ley lines that we were talking about, the Viracocha serpentine path, the sun seemed to follow along those magnetic lines on Earth where all the temples were, and just scorched them, and burnt them, and destroyed them. what destroyed and, and, and melted and, and, and you literally made a big mess of things. So people started to flee underground. We had these inner earth civilizations. Things became subterranean. Um, this is where things went to hell uh, for a long time, probably about 300 years, we figure. And this, a lot of these groups, again, became the inner earth civilizations. And you've probably... Uh, you know, when we talked about, you know, subterranean civilizations, maybe you've heard that the word Caucasian comes from those that fled under the Caucasus Mountains. Um, but have you ever heard of the Atlantis story? Yeah, we've gone into it a couple of times on this show, believe it or not. What was the last guest that you had that went into Atlantis oh. and what did you guys discuss? You know what, John, it was so long ago, I can't even remember who the guest was, and you're putting me on the spot here. Damn you. <laughs> well, the the idea that we've had lost ancient civilizations, it gets very, very fascinating because some theorize, okay, was the ancient Kemet or the Kemetians, who we believe uh, this society that would have built the pyramid in its perfection and others would have copied it along the way, uh, would have had – you know, been a part of this major empire, uh, which we call the Atlanteans. Uh, but we we should we should discuss the Atlanteans because that is a massive uh, massive topic. But I just want to say this: the movie Lord of the Rings. Uh, that was based on J.R.R. Tolkien's work, or even the Hobbit series, did a wonderful job of capturing, uh, you know, what I believe is a very, very real scenario. Uh, when you see beings like the Hobbit, uh, we know now that there were beings, there were Hobbit beings. Uh, and, you know, we, we know when we go back into, uh, first of all, we know about Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal, uh, Denisovan, but there were uh, hobbit beings that they found over in Java and other places. We know that there are these inner earth civilizations. We know that there are all kinds of great mysteries that start to come out. And these keepers of the light, these keepers of the mysteries have, have been all around the world. And picture this. You have this massive destruction that goes on, 
And we have very primitive people restarting their civilizations. And, of course, the survivors that would have come from the advanced civilizations that knew all the cool spiritual science stuff, the religions, the, the, the metaphysical stuff, uh, opening up all kinds of interesting portals and doors. I mean, these guys that had civilization, they would have been coming around the world and reseeding this thing again, which I think is just an amazing thought to think about. Quick question about Atlantis. This one comes from Eric, and he is asking, could the pre-dynastics have been survivors from Atlantis? Absolutely. Uh, Well, sorry, let me back that up. Let me back that up. Okay, what we have with the Atlanteans, we have to first of all talk about where it was located, because this is very, very controversial, depending on who you ask. Uh, David Wilcock and Corey Good, who I think are doing all sorts of interesting work right now and discussing fascinating topics. Uh, I I have a great respect for David's research, uh, but he you know he's covering the Antarctica stuff right now, and I think it's really great. But he's calling Antarctica Atlantis, and I I don't know whether they changed that now to the Antarctica Atlantis, but I think Atlantis was different. Uh, I think Atlantis was located in. The Atlantic Ocean. And I have reason to believe that even in my uh, trips I've taken to Cuba on the west coast point of Cuba, we know that there's underwater pyramids and uh, all sorts of interesting anomalies that are in those parts. I mean, if you look in those areas, we have on both sides of the Atlantic, we have cultures with pyramids and cultures with hieroglyphics. And when you just go down to the Yucatan and you, you look at the pyramids there, uh, even in Teotihuacan, and then you go all up into Belize, Honduras, uh, Nicaragua, Guatemala, we see uh, pyramids and strange cultures all the way up with the Mayans. Uh, in the Maya culture, uh, you know, we have a very, very interesting story there that that has parallels to all sorts of stuff. But to get back to the question, the description that we have of Atlantis and how it relates to Atlas, uh, think about this. Do you, uh, if, you ever look at the, if you ever look at the map or look at an atlas in your room, look where um, the side of Portugal is. You'll see there is an area with the Azores Islands and the Canary Islands. These would be the mountaintop peaks of Atlantis, which which researchers like Ignatius Donnelly, Manley P. Hall, Madame Blavatsky, all of them believe this is where the original Atlantis was. It was a center point. But like Stephen Mailer teaches, Atlantis is really a distraction. We're talking about a global maritime civilization that was literally spread out all over the place. And so we have this great civilization that would have spread out uh, and uh, out of there. Atlantis would have come all the way uh, down the Atlantic, and one of the interesting things is in the descriptions we read about the Pillars of Hercules. Well, the Pillars of Hercules would have been the Rock of Gibraltar leading into the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, But I really think where we look at Antarctica, uh, and Antarctica, huge connection there to the Nazis uh, and Argentina and Antarctica and uh, Base 211 and what happened there. I mean, if you guys do your homework, you're going to find a lot there. Uh, Anthropologist Robert Sepper has done a great job uh, documenting this in his work. Uh, But if you look uh, over at what Antarctica would have represented, 
I think those were the proto-Atlanteans. That was the first batch. That's where the Garden of Eden story in the Bible comes from. A lot of people want to go right to the Sumerian, uh, and they want to talk Sumerian, they want to talk Anunnaki, they want to go into uh, these areas. I think, uh, you know, at different cycles, we've seen different civilizations spread all across the earth, but most certainly I think there was genetic experimenting there. We are a hybrid civilization we are a group of star seeds. Other genetics have been introduced into uh, into our uh, our uh, base. You know, as far as humanity goes, uh, there's a very very uh, interesting aspect there. But as for the Atlanteans being connected uh, into Egypt, I most certainly see uh, connections there uh, for certain. Uh, the question is, is that what cycle are we talking? Uh, you know, uh, at what what level are we talking? We most certainly know that in the writings of Plutarch and, and uh, Herodotus, in Herodotus's chapter four of his writings on the histories, we hear about a group known as the Hyperboreans. And these were a race of giants. And we hear all about this race of giants with elongated skulls and this uh, um, these uh, six fingers. And, and in fact, you know what's interesting? Plutarch wrote, if you want to know who the ancient gods of Egypt were, he said they were the antediluvian kings who were deified after death. What does that mean? Antediluvian means before the flood, and deified means, you know, made into a god. So when we look at Osiris, the god Osiris, he's depicted as a giant with an elongated skull. And we look at Akhenaten, Akhenaten, uh, who I would love to get into on our last hour coming up, we can talk about how that relates to Moses and the stories. Uh, again, we get the Kabbalah, we get magic uh, out of so many other traditions and whatnot uh, that are tied into this. But the story with uh, Akhenaten is that Akhenaten is often portrayed as having uh, an elongated head and these strange features. She's very strange, and there's a reason for that. But he didn't really look like that. As as you can see on the front cover of Stephen Mailer's book, From Light to Darkness, there's a depiction that's there that's that's actually an original sculptor sculpture of him that's lifelike over at the Berlin Museum, uh, in, in a museum in Berlin, just like the Louvre or the British Museum, uh, which have incredible Egyptian collections. You see that he looked a lot different. Why did he portray himself and his family with an elongated head? Why did the Mayans? Why did the Mayans wrap their heads up and try to portray themselves with elongated heads? Why, when you go into the Inca and other areas, why do we see these practices where people were binding their heads up to look like the gods? It's because we had these great giants that roamed the earth that were magnificent and fierce, and they had all kinds of advanced knowledge. And uh, I truly believe that the people. Uh, you know, they wanted to carry that on. Uh, and again, there's there's so many fascinating stories we can go into there. Johnny, on that note, I'm going to get you to hold on for just a couple of minutes because we are going to tell our next break. Coming up right now on Space Out Radio, remember, during our break, check out Patreon.com where you can become a patron of Space Out Radios for as low as a month, or $1 a month, that is. Also, check out our website, SpaceOutRadio.com where you can read up on the encounter online, check out the SOR Space Travelers Club, and so much more. We will be back with more Johnny Enoch right after this on the Mighty SOR. One hour to go. The SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, Head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. 
All information you give is 100% confidential and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines, your answers are a click away. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. Hi there. I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with you 4 cop On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Witkowski's Strange Days. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. This is Eric Markham, news editor for the Spaced Out Radio's The Encounter Online. We have put together a great team of writers and journalists from all over the world to bring you top quality paranormal stories from alien encounters to the latest conspiracies, you won't find any of that fake news here. True stories and top-notch reporting as we look to bring these experiences to the mainstream. The Encounter, online, only at spacedoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio, or our website including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. 
check out our competitive pricing today. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box, the iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box, the spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you'd join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spaced Out Radio. Tonight, I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you with us. Tomorrow night on the program, it's that time of the month again, the ET Experience with Samantha Mowat. Starts at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time as we talk everything extraterrestrial. We'll take a lot of your questions as well. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio to get to our direct contact with me during the show. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. You can tune us in on TuneIn, download this show and others on iTunes. We're also on RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, and Stitcher. Our website is SpacedOutRadio.com, where we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for 5 bucks a month, reading up on our brand new news section, The Encounter Online. We're gathering some great journalistic stories for you, 
And if you head over to Patreon.com, you can be a patron of Space Out Radio for as low as $1 a month. We welcome in our terrestrial radio stations tonight. WQEE 99, Rock the Key Down in Noonan, Georgia, the home of The Walking Dead. We're also live in New Orleans on 107.7 FM. The United Public Radio Network, and they're spread way across the world in over 160 countries. Good to have you with us. We're live on Renegade Talk Radio in Las Vegas. And if you're on Revolution Radio, remember the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Interfenestration. Interfenestration is your password for tonight. Use it wisely, space travelers, as Bill sets the password each and every night right here in the mighty SOR. Talking everything occult, history, ancient aliens, Johnny Enoch is with us tonight. Johnny, welcome back. Well, thank you for having me back. <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm glad to be here for the third hour. I mean, the only... Only the hardcore listeners are, and, and guests can get in to the three-hour marathon stretch. But, I mean, this this is where the good stuff happens. This is where the magic happens if this, you, if you sit that last hour. This is it, man. This is the seventh-inning stretch right here. If we use a little bit of a baseball term, but that's okay. That's it. My friend, That's you, it. So Go ahead. So getting back to where we were about Atlantis, we, we, we have to finish off talking about the Atlantis story. And and when we mention giants, by the way, uh, Brian Forrester has done incredible work in Paracas. And if you've ever followed his work over in Peru, uh, it's incredible, the stuff over in Putapunku uh, and in Bolivia, strange stuff there with the magnetic H-blocks. I mean, there's a lot of, if you want to talk aliens, there's, there's some strange, strange stuff there. But again, there, there, there also have been, uh, you know, giants found over there, elongated skulls, uh, really long, strange fingers. If you look at the the kind of formations that we see there right now, he's getting tests done on these now. The stuff is really coming together. I mean, what we're starting to confirm now is just nuts. Uh, but I mean, that's why we look at this ancient consciousness technology and ancient technology that they would have built this with because it looks so alien. But at the same time, we that's the irresponsible part about the show Ancient Alien. The show Ancient Aliens also discredits our ancestors. As much as I love talking about extraterrestrials and ETs and interviewing contactees, you know I love this subject, man. But I I think Ancient Aliens has gotten to the point now where it's like Einstein, aliens, Tesla, aliens, everything on there is is just kind of chalked up. And I almost think that it, it takes away from our research in this field. It almost dilutes it a little bit. But back over in Atlantis... What, why I think this relates to us now is that when we see the story traditionally, we get it from Plato. And uh, Plato took this story very seriously in the Tiamius and Critias. And he gets it from his uncle Critias, who relays the story from Solon, his great-great-great-great-grandfather, uh, some 600 years prior or so. He goes to Egypt. He meets with the Egyptian priest Sanchis of Saïs. And he gets this story about this great civilization 
uh, that you know was this great seafaring civilization that spread out all over the world. Uh, but we we know with Atlantis that they had everything. They were super advanced. They were absolutely magnificent. And, and you know, there again, there there's some very very weird connections we have. Uh, you know, like even when we look over that Portugal area, I was telling you about. We get the the Basque people, for example, the Basque people. Uh, who have this strange RHO negative blood and a lot of uh, very fair skin, light hair, and 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 really bizarre features? Uh, because we know even when we look at their language, linguists will say there's nothing like their language in, in the world. It's very unique to them. They believe that they originated out from the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. When we study them, uh, well. The interesting thing about these people and where they migrated to in the uh, the the migration of them, um, and again, you know, anthropologists like uh, Robert Seffer has said maybe hey, there's a connection to the uh, Cro-Magnon and other uh, other parts where we can kind of trace various roots back uh, to our human history. Either way, this group that was very very advanced in Atlantis had become corrupted. They had a corrupted civilization. Something went very very wrong. In in the stories we looked at, there is an invisible ruler, a demon king that ruled from the heavens or from the air. His name was Tetvahat. So, you know, we get this, this story in other places, too. We're warned about this in the Bible, about the cosmocraterists or the principalities and powers of darkness that rule from higher places that we're told about with Paul. Now, what's very interesting about this is that we start to think, was there more technology around there? Was there all kinds of crazy stuff going on? Uh, like you want to talk about almost like E.T. level stuff, because what's very, very interesting, Dave, is that you mentioned in the beginning of the show that you love gnomes, uh, that you you love that, uh, you know, yeah, those little... Yeah, I, I, I was being sarcastic. I hate those little bastards. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. Well, have you ever seen... You've probably seen the gnome-like hat before, the little red cap, yes? The, the, this little red cap that looks like a gnome cap is called the Phrygian cap crown, uh, or we call it the Liberty cap. The sons of the American Revolution waved this cap. If you were in Europe and you were a, a slave, and in and, and those particular times you could wear this Phrygian cap crown on your head, and you were considered to be almost like liberty, like freedom. Mithra is portrayed with this cap. Uh, it was a very specific hat that people would wear. Either way, there was these there was these monks. Uh, that they, they lived in an area known as Patmos in the Aegean Sea by Greece. Uh, and have you ever heard, you've probably heard before in, in certain uh, biblical circles or uh, in religious circles that the book of Revelation or the book of the Apocalypse that we find in most Bibles was written by John, yes? Absolutely, yes. Okay, well, that was very much disputed. The book of Revelation, for example, was tossed out of the Bible over a dozen times. And it's, you know, it's been disputed by Erasmus. It was disputed by Martin Luther uh, and, and many others. Uh, Eusebius uh, had, had looked at it. No, nobody really agreed that it was John. Now, the name John is very interesting because we get the Anglo-Saxon John from Ion. And Ion was the god of the Phrygians, along with their god Attis. Ion is the god of the air that they served. And Ion is why we have like air ionizers and why we have ionic filters. And you say, oh, that Ion, uh, you know, that's very ionic. So 
This this name ion, we get John because the I and the J in Greek are interchangeable. You can take the I and throw a little squiggly on the end of it, so it becomes John. John from Patmos in the Aegean Sea. They had a book of the apocalypse with all kinds of strange symbolism. So it makes me wonder sometimes when I look at that book and all its interesting uh, you know, symbolism, which we find the Hindu rishis and other other kind of strange uh, allegorical ideas in there, uh, which no doubt were Romanized when it was brought to Rome and updated. Uh, you know, we have the seven hills and Babylon and all those connections, which is very interesting. Uh, either way, we're told about a mark that people would take if they could buy, sell, or trade. Uh, and most certainly, you know, we almost see like this idea of what we're seeing now with RFID microchips being described. Are we seeing scenarios that we're being warned against uh, that could have been relaying in a cycle that could have been connected to the earlier Atlantean society or societies that had collapsed that became very, very advanced? Because in the story that we have from Plato, Plato uh, relays the story of, of Sanchez. Uh, of Saïs warning Solon. Solon, Plato's great-great-great-great-grandfather, when he'd gone to Egypt and he talked to them, he thought he was the man. He thought he knew everything. He was describing the ancient flood story, uh, you know, the, the, the flood story, the sort of like that we get from the one about Noah, where we have the same one in the Hindu stories, we have the same one in the Chinese records. Uh, Solon goes there and he's bragging, you know, he's like, oh, this is what we know. We know about the flood, we know about this. They say, basically to him, they say, silly, silly Solon, you Greeks think you know so much? You don't really know much at all, really, because, you know, you guys are just infants. The entire world has been wiped out so many times by fire, by water, by all these catastrophes. The sun used to set and, and rise in the opposite directions to where it is now. You know, th this this idea that you think that you're at the, you know, you got all the answers is not there at all. So we've had these advanced civilizations show up around the earth. Uh, we've had these religions and symbols, the serpentine gods, the symbols of the light, uh, be passed down again and again and again to civilizations, seeded into almost every one of our religions. And this actually, this is the last thing I'll end on uh, for this this topic, and then, then you can talk about whatever subject you want. Um, but Essentially, after these particular destructions, uh, you know, we did see uh, that there was, you know, a, a visitors that came around this that came around the world after these destructions happened, and they they gave us so much of what we have today. They seeded what was left. They were sort of the survivors, and maybe they came up from the inner earth. Maybe they were some of these other groups. Uh, if we go into the ancient Sumerian legends, uh, and this is very similar to where we get our Anunnaki stories, kind of like, you know, we look over what Zechariah Sitchin uh, was talking about, uh, which many will disagree with his work. A lot of his work that he had thrown together, uh, I've been told, had uh, intentional disinformation in it, and it was in misinterpreted on purpose. Uh, but when you look over it, what we find in those stories, we learn about a great visitor named Dagon. Some called him Nimrod, some called him Oani, some called him Sidon, and they called him Sidon because he helped them with agriculture and helped them get back a society. We're told that the ancient uh, peoples of ancient Samaria or Babylonia, uh, they, uh, didn't, they didn't have much. They didn't even know how to make fires. They were throwing rocks at each other. They had this visitor show up, and when he showed up on their shores, he had somewhat of a fish hat, and this fish hat was called a mitre. 
And uh, when he showed up, he was a good man. He taught them about society, uh, laws, uh, how to, to, you know, write things down, how to make medicine, uh, you know, all kinds of interesting stuff and told them to keep the rules because one day he would come back, uh, you know, and and restore things for them. The same story we hear in the Mexican legends with uh, the Maya. We hear about a story of of a visitor known as Quetzalcoatl or Kukulikan. Uh, some called him Zoltan in other parts. He came and visited their shores, seeded their society, taught them back how to use uh, pyramids and technology and all that. The same story that we get with the Druids. The Druids found the pyramids, by the way. They were re- or not the pyramids, sorry, they found Stonehenge. Uh, and if we had time, I would have gotten into Stonehenge with you. Uh, but they instructed them in Brittany and France, later with uh, visitors from maybe the Phoenician Canaanites or the Chaldeans. But it's amazing we had all this magic and science and religion and symbolism passed down and preserved by secret societies and groups. And this stuff, even the technology and languages, you you could look at it and be like, my God, this stuff is almost alien. I mean, some of it is so incredible. It's just amazing. So that's where I come at from all of it. I think it's all connected. All of the symbols, all the magnificent, even the sayings, the ideas, all this all come back from the ancient world. I had a question on the chat room on Spreaker here earlier for you, and it was in regards to Sasquatch. Do you believe Sasquatch is an ancient type figure that has somehow survived, or do you believe that it was brought here? You know, uh, I've heard a lot of people give a lot of different explanations on uh, the Sasquatch or Bigfoot. And uh, most certainly, you know, even Jordan Maxwell has told me about his experiences that he had seeing a Bigfoot-like creature, which I I thought was was absolutely fascinating. I tend to think that this was an earlier... Uh, an earlier prototype. There's been lots of different types of, of beings, uh, even like lost beings, that uh, lost races that no longer exist, that were wiped out. Uh, lots of different inner earth beings, lots that have all sorts of different density or dimensional capacity. Uh, I think a lot of the inner earth beings that we have on the inner earth civilizations, and when I say inner earth, You've got to picture the Earth as like a honeycomb. There's this, this. It's a very, it's absolutely vast. And if you if you doubt this for even a moment, I'll tell you this: the Nazis took this subject very, very seriously. Uh, in fact, um, you know they had encountered all kinds of uh, strange individuals. But with the likes of the uh, the Bigfoot, think about this. I mean, we have. A double helix DNA, or double helix strands that were discovered by Francis Crick some 50 years ago, thanks in part to his use of LSD. Uh, we know DNA is composed of deoxyribonucleic acid and ribonucleic acid. It has various instructions, redundant codons, all sorts of interesting aspects that make us who we are. But we also know that it looks like designer DNA. It looks like we've been tampered, we've been modified with. It doesn't surprise me at all that there's other life forms and other creatures that uh, are here. I mean, for the lack, for all we know, Bigfoot could be the original uh, Earth human form that was here, uh, you know, before all sorts of different hybridization and, and whatnot took place. So I think it's very interesting. I, I think it's entirely plausible. Do you believe that there is an inner earth society of creatures that we haven't seen before? Or do you think that we are just one big giant rock? That we absolutely have an inner earth and many other planets have 
uh, an inner earth as well that are are built out. I believe that the inner earth and the above surface was completely built out by the earlier Pangean societies. And uh, there's all sorts of inner earth races. And uh, I'll tell you this right now. When I was in Ireland, I drove all around Ireland, went to every town, every pub, and asked them uh, to tell me about their belief in fairies. I wanted to talk to the Shanakis. I wanted to talk to the storytellers. And I went into some old castles like uh, Sean Ryan, a 700-year-old castle, on a, uh, drove out in the middle of nowhere all day to sit in this man's castle by a fireplace as the rain was pitter-pattering outside. It was the most incredible thing. And he was telling me about these inner earth beings that came up to him, which we call fairies, or, uh, you know, uh, for lack of better terms, uh, gnomes and elves and leprechauns and all that sort of stuff. Well, he was showing me the spots even off camera. I mean, we did a video about it, but he showed me the spots where the inner earth entrances are. And uh, we know all around the world we have stories about subterranean races. I mean, Ireland had the Tuat the Danan, the people of the goddess Danu. Uh, and by the way, there's a there's a whole other story there with the Fjordbolig, uh, or the Manishans, the men with bags, quote unquote, that defeated them. We find the men with bags um, everywhere. But yeah, with the inner earth races, uh, you know, some some have said, okay, there's about seven of them. Uh, we have uh, Helena Blavatsky specifying you know the the lost races of humanity we have many people that have written many great books about these inner earth civilizations and their experiences so yeah i absolutely believe that they're they're real and there's there's groups that have different density or different dimensional capacities as well you've mentioned the fey a couple of times on this show what what intrigues you about the fey uh, well, I've always been fascinated by the stories that we hear of, of fairies, of elves, of gnomes, of leprechauns. Uh, first of all, I used to read uh, books by the likes of Philippus, Aeolus, Theophrastus, Bombastus, von Heinem, which is for short Paracelsius. And Paracelsius documented the, the nature kingdoms and nature and elemental spirits. And so, uh, you know, he's looking at the sylphs, the salamanders, the gnomes, the undines. And I've had some experiences out in nature, uh, some that I can't relate because they're of a mystical nature. Um, but most certainly, uh, you know, I, I've, had, I've had some experience seeing some things which I would call nature spirits or encounters that are, are pretty amazing. And I've always loved the stories. Like, you know, we hear about the story of Llewellyn and Reed who step into a fairy circle and there's missing time. They go missing. How how crazy is that? That that's similar to what we have now in what's known um, in, in our stories with uh, ufology. People go missing in crop circles and have missing time. So there's there's a correlation, I think, all the way across. You know, up here where I live, almost everybody has fairy gardens. And in fact, I'll send you a video on your phone where my daughter captured one on video accidentally. Amazing. Up here, there are fairies everywhere. And my my middle daughter, whom you've met, she actually will go into our backyard and into the back uh, green belt area and sit, and she is a firm believer that the fairies will come out to play. It's 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 absolutely amazing, man. You know, if you if you really want to uh, get into this topic and read all about these encounters, uh, I got a couple friends of mine, uh, Ash Staunton, 
uh, who's a friend of mine who publishes a lot of books on these various subjects. He's uh, published a, a series of books for Albert Rosales, who, com- who did an amazing job of compiling all these humanoid encounters of people have had with ETs and inner Earth civilization beings, uh, you know, all these different strange encounters. He put them together uh, and his book, their books are on Amazon. Absolutely fantastic. But my favorite I go back to is the complete books of the are the complete works of Charles Fort. And it was Jordan Maxwell that first turned me onto this book and where he found out about that book is even more crazy and i think you've heard the story uh but in in charles fort's books he documents all the strange encounters that we've seen i mean stuff like ufo encounters and all that that's nothing new people think they're encountering ets and strange beings and monsters and guys that, that can walk up the side of buildings in london and fish falling from the sky and things coming and going from the earth i mean this stuff we're talking 1500s 1600s uh, 17 1800s it's been happening continuously and that's the great thing about Charles Fort's work. But do you remember where Jordan said that he learned about this book uh, from the E.T. girlfriend? Yes, I do. Maybe explain that story about Jordan first so people understand what we're talking about. Absolutely. I'd love to. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories. Every time I get together with Jordan, and we're getting together uh, very soon here, whenever I get together with him, I almost always ask him over dinner or when we're sitting on the couch to, to go over this story with me because it's my favorite story. So with Jordan, uh, as a lot of people know, he's been in Hollywood for around 55 years, but he came there from Pensacola, Florida. So when he was about 19, and this is in the 1950s, he goes and, and basically hitchhikes his way over to Pence, uh, over to California. He gets there and he has, doesn't have a dime in his pocket. And he gets a job uh, working at a sign shop and he's barely making it. And as he's there, uh, he meets this girlfriend who who seems nice. You know, she's a little peculiar, but he's 19. She's 17 at the time. They, they go to a little diner like you can only picture like one of those 1950s kind of diners that you'd see on, you know, Back to the Future or somewhere on those lines. So he goes in there. He's, he's sitting down. Uh, they're having their 10 cent milkshake. And she says, I want to bring you to my house so you can meet my father. He goes, I don't really want to meet your father. No one wants to meet anyone's father. But, you know, she seems very nice. So he goes there. And and when he goes to the house, the father is already standing outside, basically waiting for him. It looks very peculiar. You know, he's the kind of guy that uh, he can finish your sentences. He moves in all the right moves. Like, he, he almost doesn't seem human the way that he moves it's almost like his his movements are so precise from the way he moves his hand to the door to how he talks it's it's otherworldly and and hypnotic and strange so he goes into the door and he sits down with this man and the man says to him uh you know hey what what are you into what kind of things do you like how's how things been for you and has some small talk and it starts to get into the really interesting topics for them basically tells them you know um we brought you here it was us that brought you to California. You think you came to Los Angeles and Palmdale and all these areas? No, we brought you here. And tell and opens up the complete works of Charles Fort and gets Jordan started on his journey of doing this work that he's done, uh, being a researcher and, and looking into all the secret symbolism and uh, hidden messages, and basically tells him, uh, you know, reads a passageway out of there and tells him, if you want to see UFOs, uh, we can tell you, we can show you some UFOs. And not only is this fellow, the girlfriend's dad, able to tell Jordan 
about intimate experiences that he's had in his life and, and things where he said he wanted to do something with his life uh, and, and you know, confirm to him that these individuals, had, you know, were tapped into his mind and, and his experiences. They brought him there, but they're able to show him UFOs in the sky instantaneously. On top of that, they take him out. And they show him around into the areas by the desert and they take him down into some underground cavern and uh, places and say, hey, you know what? This is where the ETs live. And there's all sorts of ETs that live in the earth. They live in the inner earth here. They're on the earth, different types. Uh, And, you know, they take him around and say, you know what? One day you're going to do something important with your life, but it's not going to be till the end of your life. They take him back. He sees the girlfriend a little bit more, uh, a couple more times. And then one day he walks down the street shortly after, and uh, goes to visit his, his girlfriend's house, and there's nobody there. There's an open door. There's no furniture. There's not a trace in the house. Just vanished. No one's ever heard of them. Uh, so, And he said strange things like that happen all his life. Uh, you know, stuff over at Rachel, Nevada, by Area 51. Uh, weird, weird encounters. Uh, but, you know, I've heard stuff like that again and again in the people I encounter. So, you know, there's all kinds of beings living on the earth, uh, you know, among us in the inner earth. It's 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 vast, absolutely huge. So do you believe then that extraterrestrial contact is interdimensional or do you believe that they are actually coming down from the stars above to visit this planet? That's a very good question, Dave. It's it's both, really. Uh, we when you go look at the work of uh, Major Robert Dean, uh, Major Robert Dean and Sergeant Clifford Stone, who were both at the Disclosure Project in two thousand one, with uh, you know Dr. Stephen Greer's incredible effort at the at the press club uh, to get disclosure out, which was almost derailed after nine eleven. Uh, Bob Dean had said that he had seen. Uh, top secret cosmic clearance documents at the shape supreme allied headquarters uh, for nato and they said that it was all of the above that we are getting visitations uh you know from not only you know uh, other star systems or galaxies we're getting interstellar visitors basically but we're we're getting interdimensional visitors so i really think that not only do we live in a multiverse, but it's a multi-density or multi-dimensional uh, aspect. So we're getting beings on all different levels in categories, and we ourselves are going through our own shift at this particular stage and, and our evolution. And and I believe that that shift is coming from the sun. And the reason for that is, is that we live in a plasma electric universe uh, with toroidal fields. Uh, And not only has David Wilcock been talking about this, but recently I was talking to a couple scientists uh, that were telling me this is absolutely the case, uh, that, you know, when we're looking at our star and all the other stars, there is uh, literally a magnetic sort of connection, a, uh, a pulsing plasmic web that energy is shooting out of these things, and we're going through these energetic upgrades. And and when we look at how this is working, uh, you know, it is giving us somewhat of an upgrade or somewhat of a shift in our particular cycle. Could that be the reason we're getting all these uh, geo? All the geoengineering is happening. Is that the reason we're getting chemtrails? Are they blocking this electromagnetic upgrade that we need to be getting from our sun from the energy shifting around us it's hard to say but you know um this is it's absolutely magnificent to discover the mysteries 
Eric is asking a question here for you. He says, is that the same as a holographic universe? We absolutely live in a holographic and holofractal universe. Uh, you know, uh, the, it, it, there's a there's a geometry to everything in the fractals uh, that we can uh, break off and look at in this toroidal aspect. However, when we look at the aspect of everything working like a hologram, we really have to look at the works of uh, Michael Talbot, who gave us the holographic universe uh, concept, and Eric Bohm, and uh, the others uh, like Nick Bostrom, and the simulation theory idea that when you look at everything working like uh, like a hologram through subatomic particles and how reality is decoded, we absolutely are all interpreting reality differently and we can we can really get an ontological perspective of that when we break it down but yes it's it's absolutely incredible and this ties into some of the most fantastic stuff yet uh when we start to look into the mysteries we start to explore let's say near-death experiences uh or the fascinating work uh that we see with life between lives work uh, one of my favorite books that's come out in that topic that's a little uh, a little different is The Afterlife of Billy Fingers by Dr. Annie Kagan. And I've covered these books in a YouTube video I've done uh, called The Science of the Afterlife. Uh, and I, I went through all of them and these different theories and concepts and, and examined them. But one thing I love that Dr. Annie Kagan covered in her book is she's documenting an experience that she had with her brother who crossed over uh, and he didn't live always the greatest life. But he revealed to her is that every universe that we enter, let's say we're in this universe and we have all these different lives that we have to live out and, and we go through this, that our spirit, like a Russian doll, needs to sit in one's soul body. If we want to leave this universe with its laws and its conditions, that we have to shed that soul body, disintegrate, go into a void, and you know we'll have a different soul vehicle for a different universe operating under those rules. So thus then, it would, it would tell us that this universe perhaps operating with its map of densities or dimensions operates like that, which tells me that it seems to be working like a holographic construct. Now, the question is, is is there going to be a change when our DNA gets upgraded? Uh, are we going to move from that uh, third density sort of perspective uh, so that our soul amnesia, is that still going to be intact? Or are we going to have, you know, our greater soul memories? Because it's my experience uh, talking to people and, and my belief and my research is that this is the one of the hardest places that you can come to on earth if you're incarnating and and this is also due to my life between lives sort of hypnotic uh hip uh regression work that i've done in clinical hypnotherapy with people regressing them using dr michael newton's protocols where people tend to have memories of other planets and other incarnations yet this seems to be the hardest place that you can come and it, it really tells me that there is that sort of um holographic paradigm if that makes sense a lot of people who listen to this show, John, believe that most, if not all, extraterrestrial contact, whether it's interdimensional, whether it is from the stars, is of a malevolent nature. What is your take on that? What do you believe? Oh, I absolutely don't think that at all. There are people that want to say that all ETs are benevolent, though. And uh, I all I think that that's a little careless as well to think 
I um, I do believe that there's, for example, artificial intelligence out there and there's very advanced AI and nanites. And there, there may be, um, you know, aspects of that in our society now that's being integrated uh, that we should watch very carefully. But, of course, there's many different types of ET beings. Uh, and I know you're familiar with the likes of, of folks like James Gillian, who, uh, who's talked about his experiences uh, where we talk about, um, you know, feline beings and whatnot. I know you have Samantha Mowat on tomorrow and Samantha Mowat has interacted with different types of greys. I mean, traditionally, we've we've talked about the Zeta reticulin greys. We've talked about the Orion greys, the Taos. Uh, uh, all sorts of different types, uh, but you know, obviously, we've heard about uh, others like the uh, galactic civilizations and uh, you know, Andromeda councils and Pleiadian types. And and there's there's a type of ideas. There's a, there's a type of thought now that we have that some of these ETs may have actually misrepresented you know where they come from, uh, you know, for security protocol reasons. Uh, and that came from Corey Good actually that he says that, but. You know, when we look at wh- where these various ETs come from and what their motivation would be, we really have to look at what are their intentions when they came here, what are their philosophies. For example, uh, you were there when I met uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer. We both uh, met Paul Hellyer. Absolutely. And that was a good time. That was a great time. And, uh, you know, we got to meet uh, Paul Hellier and, and many others. And Richard Dolan was there. Uh, and that was put, that was the, the show where David Whitehead was. Uh, well, the idea with that is, is that he's, he's always talked about Charles Hall's work with the Tall Whites. And I've gone out to all those parts, uh, you know, driven out to Area 51. I've also driven out to Roswell and I put videos up on all that. And I've, I've talked to people that, that have different theories about the tall whites. And some have said, well, the tall whites are very peculiar. They landed over in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, they came to um, the uh, Indian Air Force uh, base there. Or they came over sort of sort of in the area um, nearby, you know, uh, Nevada there. Or sorry, nearby uh, Rachel, Nevada, and all those particular areas that we go look at. Here are these guys landing, and they had like a, an exchange program, these tall whites, where they would say to us, you know, give us your paint-by-numbers book. Give us clothes from your Sears catalog. We want to go gambling. We want to have fun. But at the same time, they weren't very nice guys to deal with. If you pissed them off, they had like a little stun pen that could zap you out. Well, uh, you know, some of these groups have been very benevolent and kind, and most of them have given humanity a message, you know, to be of service to others, to be kind, to be more caring, be more compassionate. And we will certainly see that in the case of um, Philip Kraft, who who did a great job in Contact Has Begun of describing what it was like interacting with the Verdants and Gina. And I know, again, you've read that book. So, uh, I think a lot of these groups have had good intentions and they've tried to help us and they're they're there to see humanity progress. But I do believe it is my belief personally that there have been groups here uh, with alternative agendas and they could have had other intentions for certain. I also think uh, that they maybe have given instructions to certain Secret societies. Uh, I also think certain secret societies may even have taken direction from some of the inner Earth civilizations. Uh, but again, that's just that's just from what I gather from talking to certain people and my research. There's a lot of people having so many different experiences out there. You know, as we say, benevolent, malevolent, whatever the key is. Do you think 
at any time when people are having these experiences that they are having them sort of like an out-of-body experience rather than being physically there? Because we see so many people, John, when they are taken, it's usually during the night. Very rarely do people have a daytime experience where their eyes are open and they recall absolutely everything about it. Why do you think that is? Well, there's all sorts of different technologies that they can use that they most certainly could pull you out of bed uh, you know, look at the story with Philip Croft. His wife leaves town. He is this ed- editor, writer at uh, the L.A. Times, and he is this atheist skeptic, didn't believe in ETs, any of this stuff. His wife leaves town. They come right into his bedroom, take him up, and he's up on a ship. And, uh, you know, some of these technologies are that they can pull out that, for the lack of better words, the astral side of yourself or that uh, that etheric body side of yourself. Because, I mean, we have a multitude of bodies that, that are, you know, with us in this incredible uh, vehicle that we have. Uh, you know, there's so much more to us. So they have an ability to do that and bring, bring us up. But, I mean, this is the thing is that they, the secret space programs and the military-industrial complex – has been rumored to have all kinds of amazing technology uh, that's very similar to this. For example, if you go up on Google right now and you type in voice of God technology, uh, there's technology that Wired Magazine's been writing about that's been rumored to exist in the uh, high-level military-industrial complex circles where they could influence you into having certain uh, thoughts and and uh, areas of uh, that you think you're hearing voices that are coming into your head. So it's it's like DARPA has done experiments with telepathy like that too. So we it's not really too far fetched to to think that they'd have some sort of consciousness altering technology. I mean, we're talking civilizations that are. Uh, you know, way beyond us, way further developed technology, way further uh, ideas of consciousness. Uh, so, you know, I, I totally agree with you. How many times have you heard that someone has, you know, gone to bed and then they were up on a, a starship somewhere? It's very common. It is definitely an interesting experience when someone has been taken, and you've mentioned Philip Kraft a couple of times. The one thing that I loved about that, and you know what, I can honestly say that's the one interview that I wish I could have got. You know, he, he's, been, he's been deceased for a few years, but his story is so, I don't want to say it's identical to mine, but there's so many similarities between the journalism and working in mainstream media to all of a sudden having experiences that change your life and your outlook on everything. And, you know, I really, really looked up to him because being a professional writer and editor of the LA Times like that, you wouldn't believe, you know, any type of story that came across a newswire like that. It's just not etched into any type of journalist. But when you look at his story, I mean, how detailed it was, do you think that maybe we were dealing with a senile old man at that time because he was in, starting to get into his 60s and early 70s, you know, where senility starts to, to pop up? Or do you think that he was just that affected by his own abduction? I think he was very deeply affected i think it was a profound experience that he had 
I, I've read I read all three of his books and I actually reread them because I was so impressed by them. I always look for contact the cases and experiences and people to interview. Uh, and I, of course, those are one of my that's one of my favorite subjects. Uh, looking up people that have had near death experiences and looking at people who've had contact the experiences and see where it relates into mapping out these uh, various dimensional or density places and, and seeing how it lines up in 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 everything it just all seems to fit together and with his case i i thought it was incredible because i saw so many parallels to what he said and let's say for example what bob dean said and other people i've talked to that while he was up on these ships uh they had the technology to be able to create food out of anything he wanted it was like the best food he'd ever tried so they could use all vegetarian plant-based materials to create the best steak he's ever tried and it he couldn't even tell the difference um you know, the, the entertainment that they have up on these ships or they get basically they can get all Earth based television uh, and movies and music. Uh, and I've heard uh, multiple times that that some groups don't really have the same creative capacity that human beings have. So a lot of our art is being traded in uh, the various star systems. A lot of our music is appreciated. Certain humans are traded. You know, we, we have the, this. Unfortunately, it sounds like they have a bit of a slave trade for human beings and anybody uh, uh, could be traded up there, maybe even for some not so nice things. But uh, from what I hear, you know, a lot of them listen to our music. Uh, and I, I sure hope they're not listening to, you know, Justin Bieber. <laughs> so who knows what they're listening to? Uh, but I think it's really incredible when you read his story, how authentic it comes across. And the the last story that he had or the last book was Conversations with Paul, or it was the uh, the one about where he's he's talking to Paul. He's not sure if it's a an angel or if it's an E.T. And I just thought the whole thing on how he gave his dialogue and and broke the whole situation down was extremely authentic and it just shows us that you know ETs are here. Why do you think that a person like Philip Kraft would risk absolutely everything, reputation, family, colleagues to get this story out? And yet when the story came out, it really didn't explode like it was supposed to, like the ETs, the Verdans had told them it would explode. Yeah, well, first of all, when they first came to him, they were working with humanity and they were working with our leaders. They were they were getting everyone on board. And, and I think something did happen there because, I mean, the Disclosure Project came out around that time. There was so much stuff leading up to E.T. Disclosure. And then we had 9-11. And then we had all these other things. And, and the Verdans started to get a little worried because they're like, oh, humanity is just – you know, either too bloodthirsty or too war hungry, and there's 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 war everywhere. I mean, it wouldn't be a safe environment for them to start landing on the ground. And uh, again, I, I do think that if you want to talk negative influences or or reptile aliens or whatever you want to say has been in our neck of the woods or or here causing these problems with humanity, yeah, there's there's all kinds of issues that have been there and uh, that that have disrupted. Uh, this this disclosure, this this contact that's been there. But uh, again, the problem with this that derailed all this 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 what he was trying to do and bringing all this information out is that I think that we have to rethink disclosure. Humanity wants a savior figure. Everybody wants to be saved. We want someone to come down out of the sky and push a magic button to make everything better. But the truth is, we have to save ourselves. 
We have to start taking responsibility for our actions. We have to start making a difference in each of our lives with with showing each other kindness, with love, gentility, compassion. Uh, all these things are very important, and I believe that when we do that and we initiate the contact, it's going to come forth. But they chose Philip Kraft because, A, they didn't want someone that was part of the regular, hey, I saw an alien, I must be Pasakic. They didn't want that crowd. They wanted the, the, the skeptical, hardline journalists that would write about this stuff, that people would take it serious. And, you know, it, it almost damn near drove him crazy. But, I mean, it, his story was so awesome. I'm, I'm glad he wrote it. But the human side of everything, John, he lost everything. He lost his family who thought he had become a nut job. He lost all of his colleagues. Because the people at the LA Times wouldn't have anything to do with him. He lost everything that was important to him all over this topic. And that's, I mean, that's a great example of what a lot of people feel. And why a lot of people stay silent is what happened to Philip Kraft. There is a very big human side to this that keeps a lot of people from coming out of the dark in these topics. You're absolutely right. That's a, that's the number one thing. I, I talk to a lot of people that will give me incredible information about things they experience, but they won't come forward with it. And they don't want to put themselves out on the line. They don't want to risk their reputation, their careers, their jobs, and be ostracized. But you got to also remember that Philip Kraft was one of those people. He was mocking people when they would come in with an E.T. story or talk about aliens, whatever it was. He was the guy in the newspaper that kind of criticized them and, and blocked the story or whatnot so it was kind of funny because until that happened to him he really didn't know what to expect like he he was just he had his own judgments right absolutely and being in the media and being fickle on the mainstream media you know i can see where that's happened i mean i've been in the newsroom when weird and strange phone calls happen it's not fun. You roll literally. You roll your eyes and you say, "Well, we got another nut bar on the phone," and then you put them on hold and you make them feel like they're important. And they come back and you say, "Well, we'll try and get a reporter out there. We're kind of swamped right now," and you give the politically correct answer to get them off the phone. And then after they get off the phone, you're like, "What an idiot! That person needs some help, or that person's on drugs or alcohol." I mean, that's that's the attitude of what happens that's, in the newsroom when those phone calls come in. That's it. Well, you know, you know what's another ET story that comes to mind is uh, another fellow that we both know, and I interviewed him before because you told me about him and introduced me to him, and other people told me about him, was Derek White's guy, Cloud. And he was brought up on ships, and, and he was shown all sorts of events and, and given a like a contact crystal, which I thought was, was absolutely amazing. And and again, when we talk about this interdimensional, telepathic, almost spiritually advanced civilization that could communicate information, have you ever seen uh, Daralanka or the he brings an entity out that's an ET called Bashar? Have you ever watched him? Yes. Didn't you go see him speak in Las Vegas? I I did, and then I had lunch with Daryl Anka, and it was just so incredibly cool uh, because the guy is 
he's very calm. When you hear him talking, he'll say, hi, hi, John, how are you doing? And then when Bashar comes to him, he's like, good day to you. And he just gets fired up and he's got all this incredible information about other solar systems and information about science and physics. And he just rattles them off the top of his head. And it's so so incredible and cutting edge that you just really feel this this presence of energy. Well, he said that those ETs are working with us, um, you know, trying to prepare society for a greater civilization uh, and contact, which he believes is on the way. And this reminds me of it like the beginning of our chat when we were talking about Sir Francis Bacon, about the new Atlantis and preparing, uh, you know, the, the world for what was going to be America. So it's it's very, very interesting that we really do see polarities coming to a head right now in this world. We see the the, the, the biggest show of negative and warmongering evil. And at the same time, we see a great show of good and progress and breakthroughs. And I think we have to really get it all out and work it out of our system because we are shifting. Energy shifting. And uh, we are getting greater contact and more awareness. And that's what I think all of this information is leading us back to. Have you been taken, John? Have I been taken? Yeah. Oh, you mean, you know, we up on a ship? Have you been alien abducted? Have you been ostracized from your bed to go aboard a spaceship? No, I'll tell you, man, I, I've had some very interesting experiences. Uh, I've had experiences where, like you said, you know, waking up in other for the lack of a better term, other dimensional or density places with with beings there communicating to me. Uh, you know, they they you know shown me various things. It feels like things were downloaded into me. I've seen things out at, at night, like uh, things moving uh, around in the sky. Uh, that uh, you know, I've seen things like this and things that are pointed out to me and and people that have come to me that definitely don't have. The, the regular markings of somebody that you'd say, hey, that's that's a human being. So I, I've, see, I've had some things like that where I want to say I've been taken out of the body and shown things by other beings. But uh, to say that it was the classical UFO experience where there was the, the little green men or the greys, and some think that some of the greys actually could be, uh, you know, almost artificial intelligence sort of programmable life forms and and others vary but uh you know i haven't had one of those classical experiences have you had the the classical test stepping aboard the ship experience yes well i don't recall stepping onto the ship but i do recall 12 days after your conference of being taken incredible yeah that was incredible cool. you got to tell us about that well, I've mentioned it numerous times on this show, but I'll, I'll fill you in. I I woke up, and there were three of them. And I woke up to little children's fingers kind of grooming my hair. And that's where they started in on their cutting me open in the back of my head to implant me. And every time I tell this story, no matter how long or short I make it, I feel the pulsating of where they went in in the back of my head. It like automatically starts the minute I start talking about this story. It's the weirdest thing, weirdest feeling. Very interesting. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people that have had these implants put into them. And, uh, 
you know, uh, there's been a couple of famous cases of of ET researchers and doctors like uh, Roger Lear and others who have opened people up and seen these implants. Do you feel that these implants are there for your your protection or they're there to watch you? What do you feel intuitively? I have no idea. All I know is even that we're talking about it right now, the back of my hand is pulsating. Strange stuff. What? Yeah. What? Uh, what did the beings look like? Other than you said they're little oh, fingers. Well, you, they you, they you, were you, the. They were like the three to four foot grays. The real tiny <laughs> guys. Real tiny guys. So basically, the the Zeta reticulin sort of uh, uh, examples yes. that we get, like out of the uh, close encounters of the third kind, Holloman yes. uh, landing incident. Absolutely, absolutely. That that would be a good description of them. Much different than the alien that was at my window. On April 20th, 2015, while I was broadcasting this show, he had the giant head with the giant black eyes. I will never forget him, man. Never. And you had an experience a few, like, I guess it would be a few years ago now, but around the time when you and I were first putting, you know, talking and the conference was coming together, you and Samantha were walking out in the field and there was that other being that was there. Yeah, that, that will actually be. The just looking at the calendar here. On the fifteenth, it'll be the two-year anniversary, and and you know what? As a matter of fact, tonight is the two-year anniversary of my close encounter of the third kind on that farm that we so discussed so many times. Amazing, yeah. I just realized that right now as the show was ending. That kind of pisses me off that I th- that I just thought of that. Well, you know something else is going to come, you know, next. I mean, these things these things tend to happen in patterns, you know, they happen in cycles. Well, they so I they've, wonder they've, when your next one's going to be. They're kind of leaving me alone for right now. I don't know why. Still waiting for Carl the alien to come back. John, we have about 35 seconds left with you tonight. Tell people where they can find more of your videos and information. Well, thanks. It's been a great show. I very much enjoyed chatting with you. You can find my videos on YouTube at Metaphysical Source, or you can go to my website, www.metaphysicalsource.com. Follow me on Twitter at John Enoch or on Facebook. Like our page, Metaphysical Source. And until next time, I'll meet you all in that place behind closed eyelids. The godfather of Spaced Out Radio, Johnny Enoch. Thanks for filling us in on everything from Disneyland to ancient times to what's happening today, my friend. Always a pleasure to have you on the air. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's been a pleasure. All right, John, you hold on for a couple of seconds. i got to wrap this thing up. If you're listening in on the terrestrial radio side, WQEE 99, Rock the Key, and 107.7 FM in New Orleans, the United Public Radio Network, you're hearing Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thaw crank open some guitar. Bumblefoot is the official sound of Spaced Out Radio. Tomorrow night on the program, Samantha Mowat is back with the ET Experience. Three hours of extraterrestrial talk with the best-kept secret in ufology. However, I don't think for very long, especially after the great, great conference she had down with Lori and Fenton, who will be our guest on Wednesday night. 
It's going to be some good times coming up this week on the Mighty SOR. Remember, our website is spacedoutradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Check out our archives on YouTube, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune in, iTunes, Stitcher, Talk Screen Live, and RadioGuide.fm. We will be here in exactly 21 hours from now, but we need you to do us a favor, Space Out Radio listeners. Tell a friend. That's how we're going to own the night together. Have a good one. Mr. Bumblefoot, take us home. <laughs>